are you the first black woman to write Monica Rambeau? Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. That's crazy. I know. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. The only hope is X-Men. Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of a homo superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and with me today is comic writer Stephanie Williams, perhaps best known to fans initially for her fan comic, Living Heroes, in the tradition of the iconic 90s sitcom, Living Single, starring Queen Latifah, Kim Fields, Kim Coles, Eric Alexander. We are living heroes. I was, I was waiting for it. I really enjoyed that. That was where I first noticed Steph. I mean, I was a big living single fan back in the day. I remember I used to run on the treadmill that we had in the basement after school. I would like watch it was like living single or like reruns of designing women were like that's like the gayest treadmill time I think anybody's ever had. But you know, that's it is. We've all got our our own path. But Steph is also writing issue two of Wonder Woman Black and Gold about Wonder Woman and her black sister, Nubia. That's actually like, (laughs) that's what they always used to call her in the summer. It's like, my black sister, Nubia. And it's so funny. This is not a DC podcast, but I do love (laughs) Nubia. So I'm glad that she's back. Steph, how are you today? I'm doing really well today. I'm happy to talk about the X-Men because um, they are my first love. Um, when it comes to comics, Uh, next to that and Archie. Um, They're the two that really made me say, okay, well, these comics are worth picking up. Yeah, I mean, Living Heroes obviously features Storm and Monet and other X-Men characters in addition to Silhouette and Monica Rambeau. It also features She-Hulk on the Richter episode. We ended up cutting it for time, but there was a whole digression where Luis Lopez mentioned that part of why he loved She-Hulk was that when he was a kid, because she was voiced by Cree Summer on the cartoon, he just assumed mm-hmm. that she was black because Cree Summer Same. was every black girl in a cartoon when we were kids. <laughs> so it was just one of those. And that's why I was just like, you know, She-Hulk can be in this. She is a white woman of color. So yeah, and she's a lawyer. So it makes sense. Right? <laughs> right. It's been a minute. I actually was thinking about like diving into like the rerun because it's streaming now. So yeah, Hulu. Uh huh. Yeah, and that's so kind of how like, the idea hit me. So I just know that if I start one of those, like I thought about it, I was like, because in the pandemic, everybody I know was doing like, mm-hmm. I'm gonna watch all of Seinfeld or whatever, and I was like, I could watch all of Living Single or like I could watch all of Designing Women, like I could do that. But then yeah, it just seemed like such a commitment that I haven't, I haven't <laughs> like really been like I'm gonna do it. But I've uh mm-hmm. I've been I've been tempted. That definitely is like where my lifelong affection for Queen Latifah has come from. I think. Oh absolutely. I think there are like a lot of younger people for whom she's like just always kind of been around as like a host or like a figure mm-hmm. that you see doing stuff who like for people our age and I think we're about the same age, that show was so huge. So funny. Yeah, like I just remember the like reruns and stuff. Um, because sometimes they would come on either before the Fox Kids block or maybe yeah. right after. It was that sometimes Martin. it was right after. That's why I know the song yeah. so well because it would be like the cartoons would end and it was like depending on which channel you were watching, it segued immediately into Soul Train on the WB or <laughs> Living Single if you were watching the Fox block. Yes. Oh, memories. 
memories. I watched a lot of Soul Train too. Yeah, like wildly lots of Soul Train. I mean, that was it was always it was like a mixed bag because Soul Train was fun, but it was also like, oh, the cartoons are over because Soul Train is on. Yeah. So you know, like it's like right. oh, well. But like then you pause for a minute, you're like, well, this is fine. Like I'm enjoying it. Yeah, this is fine. Yeah. I'm like, I'll I'll go outside eventually. (laughs) Right. Like, okay, all right. I can watch this for like 20 minutes and then I'm probably gonna go. Right. Well, I would love to talk a bit about your history with the X-Men. You say they're your first love. I'd love to just sort of dig into that. What's your origin story with this franchise? So my origin starts um at the laundromat, actually. There is a laundromat that we will often go to because the washer and dryer that we had in house was like on the fritz all the time. And um, there were two games in this laundromat. There was the, um, I think it was Marvel uh, versus Capcom. And then there was uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in time. Iconic. Yeah. So like after I got frustrated dying um, during like the water phase or whatever, because that was just the toughest thing for me. I would play Marvel versus Capcom and um, Storm is in it. And I was like, yes, black woman and like really dope in this game. And then from there, I think we might've rented the game for either I think in the Sega or the Nintendo. I don't remember. I think it was, if it's Marvel versus Capcom two, it was on the Dreamcast. Right. So I must be thinking of the first iteration then. X-Men versus Street Fighter. Cause that would have been like, yes, yeah. Like yes. On the... Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I loved X-Men versus Street Fighter so much that I, this is insane. This is the kind of insane shit I would do. I bought the Japanese version for the Sega Saturn with a memory cartridge you could buy that you would put in the back. And then you could, it was like the arcade. You could actually switch characters in the middle of the fight because on American versions, (laughs) they couldn't do that because the machines weren't good enough yet. I had a neighbor who had that set up and I was like, this is so cool. So, oh my God, it is, you're right. X-Men versus Street Fighter. But I was close because... Capcom. It's the same series. Like Marvel vs. Capcom was like the sequel. Because I'm like, we played it at home. Like, how do we play it? But that's why. Storm has the funniest voice in that. I was actually just playing that game, Marvel vs. Capcom 2, like the final one, because I just got back from LA. I was there for like a month. And I was in uh, NoHo with Angelique Richet. And she and I were like, we were at lunch and then we walked by, there was this new bar called Player One out there that's very cute. That's like got all these old arcade machines. It's like Barcade in New York. I was like, oh, well, Marvel versus Capcom 2, this is what I'm obviously going to put my money into. And so I did like very X-Men stuff. I was like, you know, Psylocke, Spiral, Storm. Like that was like, we're going to do it yeah. right. And her voice just always delights. Like Storm's voice in any medium is always like, because she's got that powerful she has like a Maya Angelou kind of delivery in the cartoon yeah. where like oh, everything so. is sort of like a speech. And it's like, you know, Maya Angelou didn't talk like that, presumably when she was like over lunch with her friends. But Storm does on the cartoon, just always talking like this, like she is declaring a poem. So you just unlocked a memory for me. Um, <laughs> and that? I remember getting in trouble. Uh, and I think the third or fourth grade, because we were talking about Maya Angelou, because I like I picked like Maya Angelou was the person that I had for uh, I think it was Black History Month. Mm-hmm. And I got in front of the class and instead of reading one of Maya Angelou's poems, I had written down one of Storm's like her speech or whatever before she sets it off. Anytime she does something in uh, TAS. Like come elements to me. I will create a thunderstorm, Jubilee. I couldn't remember the Maya Angelou poem. It's close enough. You're like still rising into the sky. <laughs> yes. 
So like later on that week, um, my teacher must have like maybe seen the episode with her kid or something like that. Like seen, like actually watched the X-Men, heard the voice and we were getting ready to go to lunch. And before I can go get in line, she's like, okay, Stephanie. I get why you did what you did. Don't do it again. But Don't I get why you again. did what you did. <laughs> I totally forgot that. Well, I'm glad I could unlock that. The oratory of our time truly was Storm on that cartoon. I can yes. never remember the name of that voice actress, but she just fucking killed it. She did. Day in, day out. In the video games, the Capcom games, she just sort of like shouts things, but her, she always sounds like she's in distress. Like she's like, yes. oh, oh. Oh, typhoon, 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 you know. Is it so stressful, girl? Like, I mean. She's like, ah! And she's like shooting lightning. I don't know. It just always, it's a Capcom game, right? Like, Psylocke's like, Cyblast, Cyblast, Cyblast. Like, they all say things when they do them. But for some reason, Storm just seemed very, Rogue's just like, let's do it. We're going to have a good time. But Storm is just really going through it. She's stressed. She's stressed out, but you know what? Like, it's fine because she's really OP in that game and it all worked out for her okay, so it was fine. She carried me through that whole little day at Player One. I was like, you know what? I forget how to do all these Psylocke combos, but Storm can throw typhoons all fucking day. The whole time, right? (laughs) Just one button and you're good. (laughs) I'm fucking good. So the video games were a path in for you and the cartoon was a path in for you. When did you start reading comics? Ooh, I think I randomly picked up an X-Men issue at the um, thrift store. That's actually where mm-hmm. I, I got a lot of my first comics because my grandmother like stayed in a thrift store and that's when you could still find comics. So I think it was Chris Claremont, Jim Lee. So it was early 90s X-Men because my brother had a copy of, um, I think it's like Storm and Forge on the cover. I don't remember what issue that is, yeah. but um, it's the X-Men one. Um, just the 90s run because he was switching back between that and uncanny and i think mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure the one that i got from the thrift store was like during that little pocket of time i just don't remember what the issue was early in the 90s this is like at some point for the forge episode someday i'm gonna have to reread all this fucking stuff but <laughs> there's that moment in the early 90s where like forge doesn't he propose yeah and she like tells him no and she's like, mm, not really. We've yeah. been too too much. <laughs> like, I missed that sex cabin, but no. Right. Yeah, but like, maybe that was like a moment, yeah. you know? Because like, pe- the thing is, people forget Forge and Storm really was like, for a long time, one of the big couples in X-Men. Yeah. It just fell off. I think in part because he fell off, but also mm-hmm. because Storm... I would argue, really fell off in the 90s. Like, because Claremont wasn't behind her anymore and it felt like nobody knew what to do with her. And then she got tied up with T'Challa, which I still think is the worst thing ever to happen to that character. You know, I like what ta has been doing with them recently. Coates, I'm sorry. I talk about everybody on the first name basis as though, like, we are great friends. I DM'd with him once. He's nice. Anyway, (laughs) I like what he the way he writes them together, but it's just like, Mm -hmm. it was just... It took her out of play for so long. Like she was just not yeah. an important character anymore, which is she's just wild. kind of there. Yeah. And we're finally, I feel like getting like right now, literally like as of last month, getting back to like where Storm ought to be in I the agree. Marvel universe, which is like on top. Yes. Of everything. Leading the galaxy, the regent of soul. I mean, I I mean, come on. 
am hyped for everything Al Ewing is about to do with that character. She was definitely my favorite when I was like a kid, a little kid, because she was the most, she was the coolest superhero there was. I mean, she was like, the, the visual design is incredible. The powers mm-hmm. are so cool. She was a complete badass. Like there was yes. nothing better. She's like licking blood off of a knife. Yeah, like she can kill you with her powers, without her powers. I liked her best without the powers. Like Same. I love that eighties run with the Mohawk, you know, because she was really challenged. Yeah. I know that a lot of her fans are like really into the goddess stuff. To me, like that's the least interesting storm when she's like, you know, been being deified that way. Like to me, mm-hmm. it's like when she can't do that you get to see what kind of a hero she truly is. Yeah, and just her as a, a mutant and a, a woman, a Black woman, just as a person. So completely, completely agree. That was when the mutant thing started to make sense, really. I've said yeah. this a couple times in the show, but like in the 80s when it's like she's talking about being Black, Kitty's talking about being Jewish. It's like, this is what this is about. Mm-hmm. If we're actually going to talk about bigotry, then we need yes. to have characters talking about real bigotries that actually exist. Mm-hmm. That sort of is where I think the whole concept crystallizes. And the character, speaking of crystallizing, that we're here to talk about today is Roxy Washington, a.k.a. Bling, with an exclamation point. This is going to be a funny one for me because this whole era, the decimation era this whole class of students, I was so checked out and I've been filling in progressively more and more as I've been doing the show. But Bling has a tricky publication history because she isn't even part of that New Mutants Academy X thing. She comes in afterwards. She's a random character that Peter Milligan introduces in his very weird little run she's introduced in the fox arc when mystique yeah is posing as a new student to try and seduce gambit and we meet gambit squad who we haven't been introduced to previously and it has all these new characters in it onyx and rainboy and bling and now fox with two x's who's just mystique trying to fuck Gambit because she wants to break up Gambit and Rogue. It's a truly demented plot, but I find it really funny. It's it's messy as hell. <laughs> and Bling <laughs> is kind of our viewpoint into it, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Of the other students, she's like the most level-headed kind of normal one. Mm-hmm. She's also revealed very quickly to be a lesbian, which is cool. Yes. Karma only got to finally say the word lesbian in 2003. Yeah. So this is only a couple years later and it's a much less arduous journey to be like, this is a gay character. It's just like, oh, she's gay, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) She is a visible mutant. She's sort of made of diamonds physically. She is blinged out, literally. I mean, it's like she is about as icy as one can get. I mean, sign of the times. (laughs) Yes. What made you want to talk about bling today? Because we first got in touch months ago and then you had listed her as one of the characters you might be interested in doing and I was like oh that would be great for pride month lol by the way at like I'm doing a pride month because then I was in LA and my editing situation was so precarious that we are now midway into July we're just annexing pride month like July is pride month too now about the whole year yeah I mean (laughs) frankly this podcast is gay as shit all the time right That's the last time I'm ever going to try and peg an episode on like a holiday, I think, because (laughs) turns out this podcast takes a long time to make. And uh, (laughs) 
it's hard to do it from an Airbnb. X Factor 10 and the end of the gala all came out between my recording of the last episode and this episode. So there's been yeah. so much. Wanda hadn't even died yet last and- time I was recording an episode. Actually, before we dig in to Blink, I do want to address the Wanda of it all. Huh? The witch-shaped elephant in the room. A lot of you have written in, uh, not to call her an elephant, that sounds rude, but you get what I'm saying. A lot of you have written in asking about Wanda and Pietro because of the trial. My policy was Wanda and Pietro do not get episodes in this show until Marvel fixes this mess and makes them mutants again, makes the Magneto's children again. After the sword issue where Wanda was like, Eric, you know I'm not really your child. And he's like, you're my child no matter what. If that's where they're going with it, if she, if they're like his adoptive kids and it doesn't matter whether, like, I'll take that, whether or not they're actually mutants. Like, they can be high evolutionary messes if they want. I just need them to be a family again. Right. to me, that's what's interesting about those characters. Yeah. Ideally, biologically family again, because I do think that them being the children of these Holocaust survivors from Jewish and Romani communities was important. Absolutely. But that aside, that's a me personal thing. But like the big thing is, so people keep asking, does this mean, are we going to get our, so two things, you're more likely to get a Quicksilver episode than a Wanda episode anytime soon, because Wanda's publication history is almost entirely Avengers books that I have never read. Hey, you ever need help? I'll come, I'll come on. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. I just, it's a little outside my wheelhouse, but I'm also like, let's see how the trial shakes out. She's obviously not going to stay dead. Like we're not stupid. Right. So she's going to be back somehow. And Let's revisit in 2022 is essentially my takeaway. I did want to read one note that was sent in by Robin Bader, who's a Romani critic. I thought that this was an interesting perspective because of the complicated stuff about Wanda's role as a very prominent Romani character. So Robin Bader writes, The Scarlet Witch is a complex character with an ever-changing history. The most formative and consistent element of her origin is that she was born to a Romani mother and raised by a migrant working-class Romani family who faced racial discrimination and violent hate crimes. For context, the Romani people are a South Asian diaspora who are racialized in European society and have endured systemic oppression ever since our arrival in the West, which includes mass killings at the height of the Nazi regime. Although Wanda's no stranger to taking a dark turn, the decimation plot stands out as a uniquely damaging and harmful case of character assassination. It was an abrupt shift which infantilized the character and robbed her of all agency, while simultaneously painting her as a monster whom every hero sought to righteously kill. More importantly, the character became an instrument for acts of genocidal violence, which is frankly offensive given her personal history and the real-life history that she represents. For years, the vitriol and anger that were directed towards Wanda within this narrative, fueled by ableist writing, have shaped the way that readers and writers alike perceive her. That negative perception encourages audiences to espouse hateful sentiments about the character without examining the racist implications or making any effort to better their own understanding of Romani people and our needs within the sphere of popular culture. Although efforts have been made to rehabilitate Wanda as a character, many writers continue to fall back on this treatment without interrogating the racism and ableism at its root or reckoning with the harmful optics that are created. The current era of X-Men comics has revisited the decimation story several times, but I fear it hasn't done anything to counteract its harmful messaging and instead has doubled down on Wanda's troubling political position within the mutant world. Characterizing a Roma woman as an interloper and using her as a boogeyman figure, which Krakoans invoke to engender nationalism, directly parallels the racist propaganda that is used to subjugate real-life Romani throughout Europe. It may be effective storytelling, and it certainly bears a grim verisimilitude, but unless the X-Men office is equipped and properly motivated to handle those anti-Romani implications with the utmost sensitivity, I fear it will only serve to further exploit our history and perpetuate the racist perceptions which actually harm us, regardless of intent. I hope this does not necessarily read as a defense of the character, but is a call to re-examine her narrative through a lens that many have probably not yet considered. 
I just wanted to read that because I think it's very well thought out, very well reasoned. And I complain about the way Jewish characters are represented. I complain about the way gay characters are represented. And this is a community that doesn't have a voice a lot of the time. You know, I just wanted to read that. Robin also mentions the recent murder of Stanislav Tomas by police. He was a Romani man. It's worth looking up. It hasn't been widely reported in international media. I'm going to drop some links in the episode description. Basically, just while we're all talking about this storyline, it is probably a good time for us all to think about what these characters represent to people. Last week's episode with my guest Luke Reddick, who's also of Roma heritage, we talked about Peter David and Quicksilver and all of that stuff. It's been 15 years now and we need to deal with House of M and like be done with it. Yes. Because the character has been unusable essentially ever Mm -hmm. since unless like you're Rick Remender and you just want to have her say horrible things like there's. (laughs) And it's a lot for them to work through because House of M was so devastating to that character. Exactly. Right. And there's a lot to rework because even before House of M, they were doing that weird thing where they were moving her away from her Romani heritage. So, Robin, thank you. That was like really concise. I really like that. Absolutely. Because like these characters, I mean, a lot of them have been around for decades, had different writers. And you can tell like that's my thing with Monica Rambeau. Yes. Her beginning is really strong and then it gets all jumbled up. All the Roger Stern stuff is fantastic. And then it gets weird. The second that Stern is off and the writers don't care about the character anymore. I mean, Grumald wanted to get rid of her because he thought she was too powerful and that it was a detriment to the storytelling, Mm -hmm. right? Like, And that is exactly the problem that Wanda also runs into is that because of power creep, it's the Jean Grey problem. It happens to women always, obviously, because like nobody ever says this about Thor and Thor is just as powerful as any of those people. Okay. Uh, (laughs) You know, it's I do want to say for people who can't see us, Steph is sitting in front of a Zoom backdrop of the Cerebro from the X-Men movies, which really delighted me i am doing all my laundry post la so i'm actually wearing my own merch oh my own merch too so okay well there you go yeah i'm in a little <laughs> cerebro shirt you can buy your own uh there's a link to the t public store at cerebrocast.com so long way around i w- i just realized i was like oh i want to talk about the wanda stuff because i got that letter and was just like oh mm-hmm. this is really great i need to read this so thank you again robin for writing in and i hope that your concerns are heard i think that this is a sensitive group of people that's not not to say that nobody ever makes mistakes, but I think that these are people who at least care, you know, so I'm hopeful that they will listen to community voices on some of these tricky things with that character because it's important. To bring it back around, I'd love to know why you wanted to talk about Bling, because this is a character who similarly was sort of like created by white people in a way Mm -hmm. that you know, you say like the time, right? It's like a very of that moment. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I'll say like, you know, Peter Milligan, if there's one thing you can say about that man, he is bold as a creator. He does not hesitate when he has an idea. I, as a white person, if I were creating, like, let's create a new black teenage mutant, I don't know that I would have gone for bling with an exclamation point who's literally made of diamonds. Like, that is a lot. I know a lot of people really love her, though. Yeah, and I mean, it's to be expected. I think of, like, the 90s and, like, that extreme Mountain Dew, uh, everybody's hopped up on something, uh, like, go Mm -hmm. fast, go fast, and, like, some of those characters that reflect that. And in this instance, it's the same thing while irritating that she is named Bling with exclamation point and made out of diamonds. And I think of the Big Timer song and just where hip hop was. I understand why 
they, you know, like his thought process in creating her and thinking like, yeah, there's something urban kids to connect to. And it's just kind of <laughs> like, you didn't, you didn't have to, you didn't have to do that. But that aside, Ling is just a really interesting character because unlike, you know, a lot of the X-Men that are more popular, they are kind of human passing, I guess, or at least, you know, sexy in a way that people want to have sex with them, you know, they right. want to. If you want to get down with Wolverine. Um, but Bling and a lot of the other characters that she's introduced with, they're the mutants that maybe would have, you know, gone into the tunnels with the Morlocks. Um, and I think mm-hmm. she is really interesting as a character because, one, she looks different. She's very vocal. Mm-hmm. And she is, like, really political in the way of um, just, like, no, it should be this way. Uh, I forgot what storyline it is. I think it's... Is it X Nation or Manifest Destiny? Yes, with Proposition X. Yeah, she's the one who really speaks out about that. Yeah. And that's about reproductive rights, which, like, yes. you know, I think for a Black woman character, it's important to... Yes. You know? So, so like, they get some things right with her. Um, and also the fact that she's at the uh, Xavier Institute because Gen X, they... Generation X, the, I think, 2017, because there's two of them. Yeah, the Christina Strain, this the second volume, yeah. Yeah, that one um, is really interesting because they kind of go into the psychology of why it is that she wants to be an X-Men. It's because she feels normal there because she's around a lot of other folks that look like her. So it's really more so her escape to be there um, because she's afraid of what it would mean for her to live in the world as she is among humans. Um, And that's pretty cool because, you know, how many other students are there for that reason? Not necessarily wanting to be X-Men, even though like their power set is suited for it, but they're there because they don't, they're scared of the alternative. Right. Like her and Huff have that that parallel. So Bling is just, if you can get past the fact that her name is Bling and she's made of diamonds or whatever. I think if they drop that exclamation point. Yeah, I feel like we should Kesha it at this point and just like drop, like you don't yes. need the, the exclamation point. You could just be Bling. Yeah. Or sometimes I think it would be funny if she did it like pink and it was like BL exclamation point NG. Yeah. I think that would kind of be cute. There's something about like, I do think that one of the reasons she doesn't get used as much as she might is that talking about her is awkward because you have to put in the exclamation. <laughs> it's like you're writing yeah. like, the teammates. It's like, it, you know, I remember at the beginning of this era, she briefly is on the Fallen Angels book with Laura and mm-hmm. Cable and Conan and Husk, actually, again. And it's like, the new style like, is assembling her new team of warriors, like X-23, Cable, Husk, bling! Everybody's screaming! You know, like, you're, you're sort of like, what? what? Everybody calm down. What? Are we, who are we talking about? What's going on? I like that, you know, it's not really something that is gone into in detail in that first story, necessarily, but I like that in her first story, which she's introduced in that Milligan run, the whole story is about sex, right? Mm-hmm. Even apart from the students and Fox and all of that, it's about the fact that Rogue and Gambit are having trouble in their relation, like connecting romantically. Yes. They're doing this like telepathic sex therapy with Emma, which is very funny. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that like Emma made a joke about being a sex therapist one time and everybody took her really seriously. And now they just kind of like, so, and she's like, oh, I guess, yeah, we can do that. Sure. Come up to my office. <laughs> but... <laughs> It's interesting because, like, Rogue's whole dilemma, right, is that, like, Rogue is incredibly hot, but, like, no one can touch Rogue. Like, that was sort of Rogue's whole thing. Mm-hmm. Bling is absolutely touchable, but people don't want to. 
Right. And she has like this crush on crush on Foxy on Rogue. Yeah. Uh, she even says that like I'm, I'm like, no, Rogue just saved me and she's incredibly hot. Like I right. I love this moment. And when she thinks about like just quitting the school because she's like, I've really had enough of this, it's because Rogue yeah. bursts in on her and Gambit studying, which like first of all is funny because she's asking Gambit, like, so are we in the second postmodern stage of mutant culture? And Gambit's like, I guess you could say that. You know, like he doesn't know what the <laughs> fuck she's talking about. He's her mentor and she's like teaching him essentially. Right. Um, and that's been underlined a lot that she's really intelligent, which I think also yes. helps to offset the like blinged out kind of, it could easily be like very much like, like you said, like the urban kids will enjoy, you know. <laughs> well, her parents are rappers. Yes, that's established. I can't remember if that's in the Milligan story, if it's established in the 198 files, like handbook, yeah. but they have truly the worst names. Daddy Libido. It's Roy Washington, a.k.a. Daddy Libido, and Angel Dupre, a.k.a. Sexy Mother. Whether it was Milligan or the writer of the 198 Files, whoever came up with those stage names, the verisimilitude is not there, let's say. Especially because they're supposed to be like sort of a Jay-Z and Beyonce type power couple. That's what it is. It's it's that. <laughs> like, before, so it's really funny with comics. Um, you can tell like when Jay-Z and Beyonce became like, like their couple stock is going up because a lot of the comics try to reflect that. Even Storm and T'Challa do that. Um, they have that feel to it. And this is just before Barack Obama and Michelle Obama are in the White House, right? Yeah, so you're right. That's the, that's the Black power couple. Um, but until, but before then it was Jay-Z and Beyonce. It's just really funny. Um, you can, I don't know, like you can just tell, uh, what was going on. I feel like if they were creating like a black girl to be the student, even three years later, you're absolutely right. It would have been like Senator so-and-so's yes. daughter. <laughs> like it would, cause like that would have been the touch point. It would have been like Sasha and Malia yes. instead of like. It would have been twins. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like. And whereas this, she's very much Blue Ivy, which is like weird because she's not even born yet. It's like the anticipation of Blue Ivy. Yes. Like what will this child be like whenever they do have a child, right? <laughs> like that's sort of the, and it's like, and then what if that child was an X-Man? Like it's, it's this very bizarre, like three steps to, and then the answer is kind of like a Queen Latifah or Debrat kind of mm -hmm. like lesbian rapper yes. character, right? Which I think is, I mean, and the thing about Peter Milligan, if you look at Ecstatics, if you look at the other stuff he's done in the world of X-Men, he's interested in mutants as celebrities. He's interested in the idea, yeah. like, if these mutants existed, people would give a shit. Like, in the same way, obviously, that Black mm -hmm. people are oppressed and hated and feared. Yeah. And also are elevated in popular culture because of cool factor. Like, Morrison got that with Jumbo Carnation, with Mutant Town, with all of that stuff. But Milligan really got at the celebrity culture of it all. Like, the people who were, would be gawking at mutants. And yeah. Bling is... I mean, by calling herself bling, she's almost advertising the like, yeah, you can look at me like I am an object of value to be looked at. Well, yeah. And, and that she wants to also further that value by becoming an X-Men so that yeah. she can, even though she is not, she doesn't look normal, um, human, you know, the rest of the regular humans will um, not pay attention to her being a mutant. They'll just be caught up in the fact that she is this big superhero. So, like, it's funny, finding safety and putting your life on the line for people who do not appreciate you anyway. Absolutely. And, like, there's that moment 
I think this is what opens up that Gen X storyline, that volume two, is like she's assigned to a different class that's like not on the X-Men mm-hmm. track. I think it's called real world practical applications <laughs> or something where it's like how to use your powers like in life. And she's just like, excuse me, um, I have basically the same power as Emma Frost. I'm just not psychic. I'm obviously someone who would be useful in a fight. I'm made of diamonds like you can't hurt me. Why am I not on the X-Men lead up? And it does feel on some level like, well, because you're the black lesbian. Like it has that. No, it does. It's not said, but like, you know, Christina Strain is a woman of color writing this book. Like it does have that vibe of like, she's being undervalued, even though we know she's extremely intelligent. We know she's a very dedicated student. We know she has an impressive power because not only is she made physically of diamonds and it's not like Colossus, she can't really turn it on and off. I think that would be a good potential power development for her to get at some point in the future. Mm -hmm. And to deal with that. Yeah, I think that would be cool if she could, if it was like a state that she could enter or come out of. But right now it's not, it's just how she is all the time. Yeah. She also, though, can shoot shards of the diamond out of her body, like as a projectile, basically, which yeah. that's dangerous as hell because diamonds mm-hmm. are obviously extraordinarily like really sharp. Great. Yeah, and strong and sharp. So you, she can cut through just about, I mean, like a short of adamantium and whatever, like she's the, she's the one you want to call. So there's a lot of potential there. And it's funny, she goes and talks to Chamber, who obviously is also like a all fucked up by his power kind of mutant mm-hmm. and is like so can we get this changed because i'm not on the right educational track like i'm supposed to be pre-med basically and they've got me right. in home economics <laughs> like that's how she's feeling you know i like that the, the idea of her bonding with chamber the idea of her bonding with husk who does have like a beautiful appearance but it's always like cracking and falling apart and whatnot yeah. so like that's something else to deal with like i i think that there's a lot of interesting stuff in that series. It doesn't run for very long, but I think that's probably like the best character development sort that's of where that, I would point. that she's got. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree. Because it's the only one that she's like, you're not skipping issues to like get her story. It's right. you can read it all the way through and she's there in some capacity. Yeah, like the other big thing for her outside of that initial Milligan story is the Brian Wood X-Men volume four with like the all female team. And she's around sort of in the background of that. That's where her plot Mm -hmm. line with Mercury happens, which how do you feel about Mm -hmm. that story, that relationship, that all of it? I don't know. Like I'm I'm happy that it does exist because (laughs) (laughs) they're in a relationship, but I don't care for the actual relationship. But then I think, you know, with any hetero relationship, those are like really messy. Um, those are the ones that I usually like enjoy reading because they're not boring. Yeah. So I'm just kind of like, you know, if we had more um, just like queer relationships, then I think I wouldn't be as kind of on the fence about it because there would just be others. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, this is just this right. one that is the way it is. But um, because there aren't too many, I'm kind of like, I don't know if I like it like that. I don't like it. I'm just going to be like. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. My basic thing that I don't like is the way it starts, which is sort of like with Bling kind of stalking Mercury, who like is ostensibly straight and like trying to. I mean, here's the thing. Yeah. As like a queer teenager, certainly my experience was like, I am the only gay kid here. I relate to that, but it 
plays into when you push it to a certain level like it's one thing to have conversations with people it's one thing to like hope Mm -hmm. but it feels like she pushes it to a point where it kind of is like harassment and then yeah no they but then they do get together you know and then you're like "Mm." it just makes me think of um you know some of the friends that i have who um you know, date women exclusively, um, and then they might get into a relationship with a woman who, like, would consider herself straight, but it's like, right. oh, you know, let me try this new. And that gets really messy and just in a topic in itself, but it makes me think of that. Yeah. Um, and I almost feel like it'd be great if somebody who um, is a little bit more closely related to that experience, because I think, again, I think there are things to explore with that relationship in the way that it is, and maybe have something meaningful to say that isn't so damaging i guess yeah but just kind of the way like you're right the way that it plays off it plays out and because there are there aren't as many just openly queer characters which there should be because it's it's the x-men like they're all gay yeah right Right, Um, no exactly (laughs) i just feel like having the like butch black girl plays into a trope yeah yeah Mm -hmm. It's sort of like she's the stud, like going after the straight yeah. girl. Literally a stud. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, I like I use that word very intentionally. Yeah. Like it has that vibe. And it does. I was like sort of surprised to see them together again in that cameo in uh, X Factor because I was sort of like, oh, we're still doing this. But then mm-hmm. in Way of X, people were just like, oh, now Mercury is flirting with Loa. Like, does that mean she and bling broke up and i'm like i hope so honestly like yeah not because i don't want bling to have a girlfriend but because i kind of feel like they should date other people like let it be messy let them be like let there be like a little i mean i went to oberlin let there be a queer girl drama polycule thing happening sure throw pixie in there because we know pixie is Mm -hmm. pretty queer herself let's be honest yes let all four of them just be like circling around each other i think that would be funny you know agreed it's one of those things where it's not that you can't fix it. It's not that I don't think Bling and Mercury mm-hmm. could be cute. It's just that initial story was so odd to me. And like, I don't know if it's because a man wrote it and not just a man, but like a man who was later revealed to be like kind of a creepy man. So, yeah. I, I, you know, it's just a tricky, that's a tricky one. The Brian Wood of it all is tricky. <laughs> and I'm thinking about it too. The way that uh, Black Panther and Storm were set up because there was that Eric Jerome Dickey, um, mm-hmm. like six issue series and I hated them. I hated that. May he rest in peace, but I hated the hell out of that story because of <laughs> like, oh yeah, Storm, um, like T'Challa's Storm's first. And yeah. I'm just like ownership that men are really weird about like virginity and all. I fucking hate that story also. Like hate it, fully hate it. But then it's like for Storm and T'Challa to exist as a couple, like I get it. Like I get why they exist um why they kind of need to um but it's kind of like okay well but we can approve upon this because their relationship would be good depending on the writer and what's being done um Colts has done a little something um at the time Dwayne McDuffie did it with um when they took over for Reed and um Sue and the Fantastic yeah. Initiative highly recommend reading if you want to read you know them having a good relationship yeah, I did go read that after I recorded the Storm episode of Rashida Renee Ward because we were so down 
on that whole situation that a couple people wrote yeah. in. They were like, if you want to read stuff that's good. And I was like, well, listen, Dwayne McDuffie was a legendary writer. Like, there's mm-hmm. not much he would write that I wouldn't give a shot. I just am not a Fantastic Four reader, so I hadn't read it. Yeah. I went back and read that. It's cute. It's like, I'm still not going to be a Fantastic Four reader. Of course. My thing with, honestly, like, I'm, I'm just going to be real. My issue is, like, outside of the Forge relationship, I've just never really bought Storm with men at all, ever. Logan... they're like friends though to me like they fuck sometimes but like they're not romantic to me absolutely no 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 like i think that they're really great fuck buddies but i do think i really enjoy them as like best friends because i feel like storm and wolverine have a lot in common absolutely and it's very funny that they have so much in common but yeah like Logan is is about as close as I'll give it. Right. But her and Yukio, I'm like... Like, well, that's the thing. It's like her and Callisto, her and Yukio, her and Sage, underrated. Because, yes. like, that's the subject of Extreme X for me is, like, Storm and Sage are dating. Like, that's what that book is about. Like, <laughs> Storm is like, uh, this is our most important new team member now. You all have to be really nice to her. I know she used to be evil, but she was a spy for us. It's all fine. Everyone's like, she's kind of a weird computer lady. And Storm's like, she's really hot. Please be nice. And Sage just worships her. It's good. And then Storm's like, I'm going to go on a day date with Jean in my mind. I'll be back. I know. And Sage is like, are you? fine okay like sage is always in a mood whenever like or like when storm is back with like if that's tentacle callisto period which like no comment yeah, but the storm is hanging out with callisto and callisto has tentacles now and sage is just like what does callisto have that i don't have besides tentacles like you know <laughs> it's just uh, it's a lot listen if you have not read it read it <laughs> that is the claremont promise is that like lesbians will be having drama in this book whether we can say it or not that's sort of his whole pitch king of queer subtext yeah and i think that bling it's funny like she also stands outside that and i think it's because she is a stud like she's not a character Mm -hmm. who like all of claremont's women who are having this sort of like queer interplay with each other are all sort of traditionally beautiful, feminine-looking women, even yes, if they have a more masculine person. Like, Rachel Summers is as butch as he ever goes. Yeah. And come Excalibur, he transforms her a little bit into a slightly more feminine presentation. Mm-hmm. And then when once she comes back in the aughts, like, we don't even, like, the Rachel Gray stuff, like, that's just uh, unrecognizable yeah. as the same character to me. And the less said about it, the better. But... I think that a lot of the time male writers, when they're doing this kind of storyline, it is like Storm and Sage, Storm and Yukio. Like there's Mm -hmm. like, like Yukio has short haircut. She's like kind of gay, but it's still like very like male fantasy. Bling is not really a male fantasy. Bling is like just a lesbian, like a real lesbian who you might know, you know, like, and I think that that's why, you know, again, it's a character I haven't like forged a close attachment to but i have found myself bringing her up on this show randomly like six or seven times whenever i've been like pitching ideas i've been like how about bling throw her in there and i think it's because she has that sort of unique Mm -hmm. feeling where like so many of my friends are lesbians or queer women and like karma similarly feels really legit to me as a character like whenever she shows up i'm like that's a gay woman and like she's doing her thing and in the same way that karma is that like lesbian at the library that you know Mm-hmm. Bling is like the lesbian of the club that you know, and it those are yes. like equally 
real people. And I just feel like yeah. that that there's so much story potential there, especially when Bling has this human celebrity family. Has that ever really even been touched? I don't think it has. No. And In this <laughs> Krakoa era, you know, like there's so much interesting stuff you could do with that. There is. And if she, um, I don't know, we're like die and come back. And then she gets that other thing to her power where she can maybe cut it off because I think that would be an interesting storyline to explore. She can have a She-Hulk moment where she's like, mm-hmm. no, I'm going to stay in this form because yes. I feel most powerful in this. But you could also give her the cool factor that characters like Emma or Colossus have or Iceman where like they can transform in and out or like you can do a yeah. cover where you're like half transformed. Like they're doing it now with Monet with the penance form. Mm-hmm. And it's very yes. cool. Archangel is another one like alternate Mm -hmm. forms alternate modes are always a cool thing in a superhero comic I also think quite honestly and this is we'll get it more into this later because a listener wrote in about it but there is this tendency with black characters in particular to have them look unnatural or whatever so that they're like secretly black right yeah and bling is one of those characters and she at least is usually drawn with sort of like recognizably black facial features, I would say. Like she's clearly like a black character, but it still Mm -hmm. has that, it still falls into that trap. And I think that if she also had a form where she was just like a hot butch black girl, and then she had this diamond form that she could go into to fight, or even again, if you like, if she realizes, you know what, I prefer to be in my diamond form, but you still had the option of having her like go out on the town and be a visibly black character. I think that might be beneficial to the character because then she's also serving that purpose, right? Of like, there aren't enough black characters, visibly black characters in this franchise. Mm-hmm. And it's a franchise that's about oppression and often about like allegorical racial oppression. And so, yes. we, I mean, I think Sync being on the main team is great, for instance. And Monet leading X Corp, that's great. Mm-hmm. Frenzy on the sword station. Like, we need more of these yep. characters to have prominent roles. I think, like, while we're working on youth, I mean, I would love to see Vita Ayala do something with this character. Yes. I was just thinking about that um, because I feel like Vita would really. Because he doesn't do a really great job. I mean, really great job. I think that's one of the best books out of Marvel Comics right now, period. Yeah, and like whenever they write Storm, um, they just get it. Get it. Um, It's this fine line between like goddess and, you know, this woman, this black woman with extraordinary powers, but she's still like, you know, it's a, a woman. She's not really a goddess. Like she can die like anybody else. Right. Yeah, I, Vita would crush that. There's just so much to explore with Bling. It's it's there. And I think this is why a character, even though she's been like in 100 plus books and doesn't really have like any meat to her like that, because that foundation is there for just different things to play with and explore with her. I think that's probably why you keep bringing her up. Yeah, because I'm just like, there's so much potential there. And like, yeah. she has all these angles. I'm really interested in mutant culture and like what that means mm-hmm. now in the time of Krakoa. Like, I keep saying that there should be like some kind of book for Dazzler, like about that. Yeah. That's where I keep bringing up Bling. I'm like, why are Bling and Dazzler not like Bling has the record industry connections. Dazzler is one of the biggest stars in the world. Dazzler understands that like she makes black music and like works with black artists. Vita threw in that bit about her collabing with Lizzo, which I thought was like very Mm -hmm. 
Because again, it's that kind of like Robin or Kylie or like Nelly Furtado kind of thing where like she knows what she's doing. You know what yeah. I mean? Or like mm-hmm. Ariana Grande even like minus all the self-tanner. But like, yes. but, but I always say to people, I'm like, that's Boca Raton. Like if you go to Boca, everybody looks like that. Boca Raton all day. <laughs> but she, but Dazzler gets it in terms of like she would hire the best people. She would hire hip hop producers. She would know that world. So I feel like that's a natural outgrowth. She'd be a fun mentor for Blink. And now I'm like, I love this character, Carmen, that Vita introduced in Children of the Atom, who hopefully will now be jumping to New Mutants. We have this new Black lesbian character who's like 14, 15, right? Mm -hmm. And Bling is probably like 18, 19. I feel like would be a cool kind of like queer big sister character for her. Yes. Because that's the thing is if we have enough lesbian characters, they don't even have to date each other. They can just hang out. Yes. That would be cool. (laughs) Have Carmen, who needs, like, a guide in this new mutant world that she doesn't know. Like, Storm is taking that responsibility a little bit. But Bling, it would be perfect as someone Mm -hmm. to help her acclimate, as someone to, like, be her friend, talk about girls together. I think that would be cute. Yes. Carmen is very femme, so also it's, like, then you have a broader representation of like black lesbian identity, black lesbian culture. I just, I don't know. I think it would be cool. This is the thing with her. Like she comes up, I feel like she's come up on this podcast. That's why when you said her, I was like, yes, let's do it. Because I don't really, again, she has like so many fucking appearances, but I don't, Mm -hmm. I feel like I don't know anything about this character yet. And like, you know, Vita has about 500 characters in that book to keep track of. So I hate to ask them to take on more, you know, responsibility. But when you do the book that is about that younger generation, that's like 100 characters, you're sort of asking for that a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're saying, who can I pluck out of all these different places? And I think that it would be fascinating to see karma and bling and carmen and little gabby whenever she comes back yeah having like a little like queer lady feelings lunch (laughs) no but like they could do the thing where i think it's in it's uncanny x-men maybe late 80s um where is psylocke storm rogue and i think dazzler yeah where they go to the mall i love that issue yes and like they could do something like that that'd be cute like go out on the town you could literally have it be like Bling and Mercury broke up. Mercury's mm-hmm. dating Loa. Bling is like in a bad mood. And Carmen's like, let's take Bling like out for a night in Manhattan. Like it's been an age, you know, uh-huh. and like whatever, like have a fun time. Like, And then something, a sentinel or something shows up. I don't know. Exactly. Right. Like then there's a fight and we all have to like yeah. combine our powers to save the day. I just know that Vita, I mean, again, like they could write just about anything. Agree. I say that every time they come up in this podcast. Every time I'm like, I would read Vita write the phone book, which I have said so many times in this podcast that I saw a fan made like a Cerebro bingo card. And it was like one of the spots was like Vita Ayala writes the phone book. I was like, oh, damn, it's an expression, guys. The kids today don't even know what a phone book is. But (laughs) the point is like, I just that's there are so many characters I would love to see them with. And Bling is a character I think that would be really natural. I also think like Bling would be fun on X Corp, like hanging out with Wing Dancer. There's like a lot of places you could fit this character that I think would make a lot of sense. Yeah, she's really tech savvy too. Yeah. Didn't she like and what was that thing she invented at one point? Like like very advanced like engineering kind of shit. Yeah, it was really important to the story too. It was like for Jubilee's baby, Shogo. She like yes. made uh I'm gonna a keep him safe. Something uh, yeah. that made like a, a force field. Mm-hmm. Cause she's like an engineering student or something, like yeah. randomly. And she's like, oh I was I invented something. 
And I remember the reason I thought of her for X Corp, I think that was the first time she came up, was there was some moment where like Angel was teaching economics and he mentioned that like she was his best student or something like that. Yeah. She's got her eye on the prize. Like she knows what she's doing. So I keep saying like Fallen Angels Volume 3 and it's like a band or like something. Something like. like... Give me like the Gem and the Holograms book. You know? I, would read, I would read it so she would play drums or something it would be cool or like <laughs> bass can you imagine her playing bass i can or even like just like a, a duet or maybe like she opens for dazzler or something or maybe like she's the rap feature on dazzler's new song yeah. like does she want to get into music like her parents maybe she yeah. does she could have like if you pivoted it out of the Jay-Z and Beyonce thing because I think mm-hmm. that has dated weirdly because Beyonce is now like the most famous person yeah. on earth, which is like a little different. I think if you pivoted it into a Will and Jada mm-hmm. and had her be like sort of the Willow Smith of like the mutant world, yeah. that kind of celebrity where it's like second generation, but like talented, wants to do their own art. I think that would be a smart place to take the character. Yeah. Like, why doesn't Bling have a Red Table talk show? The fact that, like, Bling also, like, hacks into stuff. It's, like, she's an engineer. Like, maybe she comes up with some type of tech that Dazzler uses on, I don't know, like, while she's on the stage, uh, someone gets a hold of those plans, turns it into something evil midway through the the tour, I don't know. And I mean, if we're, so we're pitching this book right now, basically, on the air. Yes. When we do this book, you have Dazzler's sister. She's like the pizzazz character, right? Like she starts mm-hmm. her own band and like there's this whole like Dazzler versus Mortis rivalry and like Mortis is doing like an Evanescence type thing, obviously, yes. right? And, like Dazzler is doing like her standard Dazzler thing. Bling is trying to help Dazzler connect with like the youth market. You bring in Carmen, she does costumes. That's her whole thing. Something happens. Bling is able to like, uh, she's, Bling is dealing with going back and forth between like normal human form to diamond form. She's figuring that out. Like what that means for her, realizing that whether or not she's a mutant, uh, the world is still going to look at her funny because she's a black woman. Exactly. Like maybe she's, because she has like a human form now, she gets hooked to be like on the cover of a magazine or something. And then she's like, would they have booked me if I still looked like a mutant all the time? And then like she decides to do the cover in her mutant form or like something, Mm -hmm. like something defiant. Like, I don't know. I'm like, now we're, now we're giving away ideas for free. We should. Yeah, we're, yeah, we absolutely should. These are ideas you personally should pitch to Marvel, honestly, if we're being real. (laughs) So let's not go too crazy. But I think that what we're illustrating is that this is a character who, you know, the Pixie episode was fun because it was a character I'd been resistant to. And then I dug into her story and I was like, you know, there's actually a lot here. And the thing with Bling is there actually isn't a lot there yet. Mm -hmm. But there are so many seeds, not to get all Krakoan with it, but like things that could bloom and blossom into really big, exciting storylines if a writer decided to shepherd this character, to steward this character, really get behind her and give her a push. You know, people keep saying, like, about the other Milligan characters, the Ecstatics characters, like, when are those Mm -hmm. characters going to show up on Krakoa? I'm not sure that they would fit because that book was always so specific. But if you want to do those themes, Jumbo Carnation, bringing him back, I think, was genius and doing all the mutant fashion stuff. That's really smart. Bling is another character you could do that with. You can get at those Milligan X-Force and Ecstatics themes without literally being like, here's you go girl and dead girl and all of those characters. Because I think 
integrating all of those characters into the X-Men is like a little tricky. It always to me yeah. felt like sort of a sort of alternate world almost yeah. more than it did feel like an X-Men title. No matter how many times like dupe pops up in a background shot, I'm still just like, <laughs> I don't necessarily buy it. This is the same world. So I, I think that she's absolutely right for that. Yes. If we want to talk about what mutation means now, what being a visible minority means now, Mm -hmm. especially in the public eye, this is the character who I think it makes sense to do that with. It does. It's baked in there. So like, let's let's just bring it out some more. Yeah. The work is the work is halfway done. Exactly. I think now is a great time for me to jump into the very brief Cerebro character file on Roxy Washington. We will just jump through all of her publication history from Milligan up through her most recent appearance, I guess, in X Factor, I think. Yeah. When iBoy's trying not to peek at the lesbians because he wants to, but he knows he's trying to be polite. Then we will come back here. We'll talk about your favorite bling stories that do exist. And then we will get into listener questions and then talk a bit about the work you do and the work you have upcoming. So we'll be right back. X-Men, X-Men. Roxanne Washington, called Roxy, but best known by the code name Bling with an exclamation point, is a character who has never quite escaped the background, but always shines in the crowd. A black lesbian teenager with diamond skin, she wasn't part of New Mutants Volume 2, instead created later by writer Peter Milligan and artist Salvador LaRocca as a supporting character in the X-Men title. But after the decimation cut down the student body significantly, Roxy quickly became one of the more prominent mutants of her generation. Roxy debuts in 2005's X-Men 171 by Peter Milligan and Salvador LaRocca, the first issue of the arc Bizarre Love Triangle. She's one of the Corsairs, a squad of students at Xavier's mentored by Gambit. These characters, also including Rainboy and Roxy's close friend Onyx, are new characters who haven't been established previously in the Academy X title. The team is thrown into chaos by the arrival of new student Fox, a sultry and cruel teenager to whom both Roxy and Onyx are sexually attracted. Fox torments Onyx, who she thinks is hideous, and Roxy confronts her about being nasty to the teen. When Fox gets violent with her, we learn Roxy has the power to shoot diamond fragments from her body in addition to her diamond form. In the end, Fox turns out to be the villain Mystique in disguise, attempting to seduce Gambit to break up Gambit and Mystique's daughter Rogue. Roxy is a dedicated student despite Gambit's relative lack of attention to his squad, and she has to hunt him down for their private tutorials. When she finally gets him to sit down with her, they're interrupted by Rogue, who's still upset about the Fox situation. She implies that Gambit is after another student, and Roxy is offended, contemplating leaving Xavier's because the teachers are, frankly, acting crazy. Rogue chases after her to apologize. Later, when Onyx finds out that Fox was Mystique all along, he flips out and Roxy tries to calm him down. Not long after Roxy's first appearance, the decimation reduces the worldwide mutant population to about 200 people. Roxy is one of the characters to retain her powers, and gets a profile in the handbook, The 198 Files. Here we get some backstory for the character. She's the daughter of so-called hip-hop royalty, the rappers Roy Washington and Angel Dupre, aka Daddy Libido and Sexy Mother. Featured in her parents' music videos from early childhood, Roxy was frequently targeted by kidnappers and assassins for ransom. After her mutant power catalyzed, she rejected her parents' expectation that she follow them into music and decided instead that she wanted to be a superhero. She enrolled herself at Xavier's and is noted as a particularly gifted student who behaves responsibly. After her initial story, Roxy mostly hangs out as a background character. She's visually distinctive and most of the students have been depowered, so she starts racking up appearances but rarely gets focused. 
While she doesn't win the Battle Royale to choose the new Young X-Men team, don't worry about it, she acquits herself heroically during a struggle with Apocalypse and his new horseman, and Prodigy invites her to join the team regardless. She turns him down, feeling that becoming an X-Man after the decimation amounts to a death wish. She tells him she and Onyx are considering leaving the school before the government decides to liquidate the remaining mutants. She's still dragged to limbo regardless with the Academy X students in the quest for magic storyline, and this adventure seems to rededicate her to her studies. Roxy follows the X-Men to San Francisco after the franchise-wide event Messiah Complex. During the Utopia event in 2009, she's a notable voice against Proposition X, which seeks to limit mutant reproductive rights. She teams up with fellow black women mutants Frenzy and Necra to battle the Dark Avenger Moonstone, and later joins the X-Men and their allies in moving to the new mutant haven off the coast called Utopia. She then has a fun arc in Mike Carey's run on X-Men Legacy, where she's targeted by the mutant vampire M-Plate as a potential source of food. He kidnaps her and feeds on her mutant bone marrow, but she's rescued by Rogue, and the two team up to beat the absolute hell out of M-Plate. Afterward, Roxy, feeling flirtatious, declares that it was very sexy of Rogue to come rescue her. We get a little more insight into Roxy's childhood here, as we learn that her celebrity parents threw wild parties at home that used to frighten her. Roxy's best friend Onyx is killed during the franchise-wide event Necrotia, and in advance of the next event, Second Coming, Roxy decides to interview some of the remaining mutants for posterity. The 2010 one-shot X-Men Second Coming, Prepare, by Mike Carey and Stuart Eminen, is about these interviews and is a good read if you're looking for bling content. After the schism in 2011, Roxy decides she'd rather be a student than a soldier and sides with Wolverine against Cyclops. She becomes a student at the new Jean Grey School for Higher Learning, where she begins appearing in X-Men Volume 4, written by Brian Wood. She's repulsed by Quentin Choir, but feels romantically drawn to fellow student Cecily Kincaid, codenamed Mercury, who is ostensibly straight. Roxy comes on a little too strong, leaving multiple letters for Cecily asking her out, and eventually Cecily attacks her in the halls of the school, demanding that she back off. Roxy helps the X-Men deal with Archaea, don't worry about her please, and later teams up with the Young Avengers alongside several of her classmates in the climax of the Young Avengers ongoing title by Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey. After helping Jubilee rescue her son Shogo, Roxy starts developing a bond with her. They get together to talk about Roxy's issues with Cecily, and Roxy explains that Cecily was so upset Roxy asked her out that she punched her in front of everyone. Roxy's embarrassed, and Jubilee stresses that Cecily's behavior was unacceptable, but Roxy tells her it's okay because she's developing feelings for someone else. That someone else, apparently, is Jubilee, and in the following issue, Roxy leans in to give a confused Jubilee a kiss on the lips when she notices Cecily looking at them. Eventually, Cecily confronts Roxy after a battle, annoyed that Roxy has filed a complaint about her with the staff. Roxy protests that Cecily hit her and embarrassed her in front of everyone, and explains that she feels desperately lonely as the only out lesbian student at the school. She also thinks her mutation makes her ugly, and she hoped Cecily, who also has a physical mutation that mutates her skin, would understand. Cecily is moved and agrees to go on a date with Roxy as long as Roxy doesn't leave any more creepy love letters for her. This plot is weird, honestly. Roxy returns to the background for a while until she becomes a regular cast member in 2017's Generation X Volume 2 by Christina Strain and Alma Carpina. Disappointed that she's been assigned to a real-world practical applications course track instead of the X-Men trainee courses, Roxy protests to staff member Chamber, with whom she forges a bond. She also begins having therapy sessions with Husk, who helps her process her self-esteem issues. This is a fun recent book, and I recommend it, so I'm not going to get too far into the weeds. The antagonist is M-Plate, who Roxy has a history with from Legacy, so she was a fun pull for the team. After the 2019 soft reboot House of X and Powers of Ten by writer Jonathan Hickman, Roxy is one of countless mutants to join the new sovereign nation on the living island Krakoa, but at first she's skeptical about the idea. She's briefly enlisted by Conum, the new Psylocke, to join the team of misfits called the Fallen Angels alongside past mentor Husk, but honestly, don't worry about it. More recently, Roxy makes a cameo appearance in X-Factor, making out with Cecily at a party, but their relationship status seems up in the air. 
Wherever the story might take her next, Roxy's unique role in her generation of students makes her particularly well-suited to tackling the themes and political questions of Krakoa. X-Men, X-Men. And we're back with Steph Williams. I'm still your host, Connor Goldsmith. We are still talking about Bling! <laughs> with an exclamation point. The hip-hop heiress with the diamond skin. I feel like you could do a really fun music project with this character also like oh yes in terms of disney multimedia like i keep saying it's bizarre to me i guess now they haven't incorporated the mutants yet right but whenever they figure out how they're going to do that the most obvious thing in the world is to do dazzler the show as like a musical show mm-hmm. bling would be a perfect character for that you get like a young esther dean type yes oh my god yes you know? <laughs> yes Esther Dean is actually perfect, yes. Yeah, I think she's probably a little older than... Yeah, but like... Go, but like someone like that. Yes, because Bling, actually, that's funny. Because um, I think Esther Dean came on the music scene around... Around this time. So um, it's funny you mentioned that because when I thought of Bling, I thought of Esther Dean. I think it was like watching MTV something, whatever, and reading X-Comics at the same time. And I was like, oh, okay. These two make sense. <laughs> Absolutely. And I just think that like we're in that moment where you could find people, you could hire people to write music for that Mm -hmm. show that would be fun. Even if you have to find like an 18 year old or 19 year old to fit the part, you hire Esther Dean to write the songs. You know what I mean? (laughs) You know what? (laughs) An Empire X. So I'm thinking yes. of the show Empire. Um, exactly. And <laughs> how over the top and ridiculous it was, but it fits for X-Men. Yeah, like you do something like that, you bring in a little bit of power. Yeah. Even that like that energy that a show like Glee had, where like, yes. you're just like, throw in some musical numbers, like just do it. Mm-hmm. We know from WandaVision that people love a musical number if you time it right like if you throw it in people were talking about that fucking song for months oh my god i heard it at the grocery store and that's when i knew um <laughs> the apocalypse was on the way <laughs> yeah not the not the blue guy the real one yeah <laughs> he would actually be nice speaking of black mutants who have a non-human appearance i mean that is he's sort of the original right yeah, from X-Men TAS. He's a light-skinned black man, so yes. <laughs> well, he's from ancient Egypt. I mean, you know, it's like... One of right, those... that on top of that, right. Yeah. I liked when his wife and sister-in-law showed up in the new stuff, and they were just like, emphatically like, they're black. Like, I thought that that was good. It's good to, you know, be unambiguous. I will say, with this new uh, run of X-Books, Apocalypse has been the one that stand out the most to me, where I... The connection I feel to the character is something that I never knew I would in the way that I do. Never would have anticipated. Yeah, because he was right. such a horrible, bad guy for yeah. so long. And then I feel like Teeny Howard and Jonathan Hickman both were like, but what yes. if we made you care about this man? Wouldn't that be funny? And they did it. And they did it. They have accomplished the task. It really yes. is kind of extraordinary. Honestly, almost from the word go in Excalibur when he's like, Richter, get out of bed. Like, stop wallowing. You've got shit to do. It's kind of like, oh, I'm I'm into this. And then once you find out it was all just in the pursuit of being a wife guy, like, that's Mm -hmm. kind of delightful. Much like Masik, he wants his wife back. That's the whole goal. And hopefully everyone's going to get their wife back. I hope so. They better. Charles is going to have to pay. Yeah, it's it's a bad, it's a bad, it's a bad look right now. I think the Inferno is going to be... 
I think some chickens are coming home to roost for old Chucky boy and his husband. I will be so happy and ready. Clearly, Magneto's going through it in his own miniseries. So they're both going through it. Yes. I mean, I think it really is Moira who needs the smack. And I love her. But, like, she's, you know, she's up to no good. We can all tell in her little... Oh, absolutely. Lurking in her lurkum, like, up to not a lick of good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I'm excited to see the mystique versus Moira at all. I was saying in an earlier episode, it would be funny if like Moira just like rounds the corner sometimes in her no space and just like finds little tiny like destiny masks like under things or like she yeah. lifts her hat and there's like one or like there's something behind her books or like she's like, God, like where are these coming from? And it's just like. Mystique just like sneaking in and like leaving little knickknacks around just to like. And she would be petty enough to do that. So, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. We just, I mean, in Bling's very first story, Mystique's entire grandmaster plan is I'm going to shapeshift into a teenager and fuck my daughter's boyfriend because I don't approve of their relationship. You know, it is really funny that the X Men have not found their way into the MCU yet. And I think that's because, I mean, you want to talk about mess. Oh, mess for days. If you think that WandaVision was messy, let's talk about the mutants. I think they literally just are trying to figure out a way to do it to make it mix. I think it's going to be in the the Multiverse of Madness movie. Yeah. I think that they're going to have Wanda ironically bring the mutants Mm -hmm. in this version rather than get rid of them. I think it's going to be like a no comma more mutants, you know. That would actually be cool for that character too. Because the problem right now is how do you bring them in and not have them have been there the whole time. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm not in a rush, personally, because... No. The last thing I want, because I love the comics right now so much for the Mm X-Men, the last thing I want is for, like, us to have to worry about synergy with a movie. Let me talk about that real quick. So, the MCU. Yeah. Do I like the movies and stuff? Sure. But the way that it's kind of derailed a lot of the characters in the on the comic, like the actual comic side. Is unbearable. Oh, I can't stand it. Yeah. So right now, all Marvel really has are the experts because they're not in the MCU yet. They've de-emphasized to some extent that like synergy thing because I think they realized at a certain point that the movies don't actually really bring new readers to the comics particularly. No. So there's no real need to do that. It's like, just let the comics do their thing and then pluck out whatever you want. Agreed. I mean, as a Monica Rambo head myself, I think that all of the push to get Carol over in anticipation of Carol being this big tentpole movie character did a lot to hold Monica back. Agreed. It's like a woman's Captain Marvel now. It's like a woman was Captain Marvel when I was born. Like that. You know, that, was... you know, that and then also the way that Monica has been like linked with Carol. Yes, relentlessly. When that was never the case. No. And I hate it so much because, you know, Monica's thing is like, call me Auntie Monica. But now, you know, she's calling, you know, Carol Auntie. Now it's, it's kind Auntie of... Carol. I, yeah, I, that is a choice about those movies that i really don't like that's the one that's the thing i wish because like tiana paris is perfect she was one of my like top picks for the role like i think she's fantastic and monica is my favorite avengers character and always has been so i am all about her like the fact that i can now say monica rambo to like random normal people and they know who i'm talking about that rules yes but i don't love that 
she's like Carol's niece, essentially. Like, I find that weird. It's weird. And it just, it doesn't help Monica's character in a sense of, you know, she came out the gate hot, you know, a lot of amazing stories with the Avengers where she was really active. And then, you know, the weird full-time thing. And then now it's just still, it's her history is just muddled and it's frustrating. I like the Photon code name. I like that better than Spectrum. The code name I'm cool with. The way that the code name comes about is yeah, really it's not terrible. great with the genus spell so and all of that. Yeah. yeah, that was bad and just that issue. But um, because her comic history gets so weird and muddled, the MCU has only made that worse. Right, because now it's like people know her as this little girl from the. It's like yeah. none of this happened in the comic, right? No. I do feel like having her connected to S.W.O.R.D. is cool. Sure, yeah. Al Ewing writes, like, the best Monica in the modern age, so... I agree. Like, if they want to do any synergy, have Monica be, like, the human representative to S.W.O.R.D. because I would love to see her with Ewing again. I mean, he writes... I love how he writes that character, so... But, you know, I think they're going to give her a push in the comics, and that's why, like, I think the MCU can be helpful for these characters mm-hmm. like there's monica rambo merch who knew that would ever happen like that's really know. cool it's you know like, like i'll manifest this live on the podcast but actually that is my hope to hopefully like one day have a stab at like a monica miniseries i don't even need a full just give me six issues yeah i mean you wrote her for the legacy voices issue yeah. which was fun and i would love that i think it's honestly are you the first black woman to write monica rambo mm-hmm. period yeah that's crazy. I know. And the other thing that we're gonna, <laughs> that we might that we're gonna bring up is also crazy. So <laughs> that is my my comic career so far has been yeah. um, milestones. Yeah. Really, I just I, I like it suddenly struck me. I mean, we were talking about this in the Karma episode. Marjorie Liu was the first Asian person, period. Because like Larry Hama never even did a karma yeah. story, like to write karma. It's just one of those things where you realize even these characters who are like quote unquote diverse characters, this is why so much of what needs to change is about who's afforded opportunities at the table because we talk a lot about representation as politics, but to me, like the key representation is that someone like Vita Ayala is writing New Mutants, yes. not how many black characters are in. Exactly. Nope. You point right there you know because there could be some great batman stories with some non-cishead white men writing them there sure could be like that's the thing is i don't want you know i aspire also to write at some point perhaps and like i wouldn't want to be forced to write like a knoll you know like that's yeah, i don't nope, I, like, you, I don't yeah. want to be like yeah no i get you i'll write a straight character i'll make it fun i swear yeah. to god you know like i want the ability to do a range of things and i think that even when the door starts opening it's often like hello we need a black woman to write this specific thing because we're like nervous about yeah. this character or whatever which is not necessarily like in this case with monica you would love that yes but you would also, I'm sure, love a crack at writing Gambit or whatever. Like there Gambit, Beast, and Wonder Man. I mean, you know, there are I would write a whole big guy thing about him. Like he has a uh a Krakoan cruise ship that he does. Um <laughs> that's like his thing. It's like a party boat. Um like a strong guy 
prestige. Yeah, strong guy. No, yeah, yeah, strong guy, not big guy. What am I talking about? But yes, like a strong guy. Strong guy was one of the other characters you suggested doing, and I was just like, I didn't realize I was going to have to reread Peter David X Factor anyway for a couple episodes beforehand because I was like, oh no, I would have to reread so much X Factor. Now, of course, I've already done it, but he's another interesting one. He is a wild character. That one. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem when, like, only Peter David ever writes you, really. Like, I feel like you just end up taking down a magical mystery tour to, like, strange places. You just sort of... Yeah. Who knows where you end up? Usually hell, but, like, it can really vary. Is this true? Well, Marvel, if you're listening, like, what, you know, what sort of Monica story do you think... Like, don't give your ideas away for free, obviously. Yeah. But, like, what kind of... Like, what would you... Because, you know, we'll get back to Bling in a second, but like we've talked about, like we, we got, we talked about this during the break, but like we, we sort of went through what there is to talk about almost <laughs> with this character already. So we're now kind of freestyling a little bit, which I'm fine with. But, you know, what would you want to bring out that you think people haven't necessarily brought out yet or been able to emphasize? I want to lean into her really being a lover of being like a sea captain because like that's that was her whole thing before she became Captain Marvel. So like lean into that. So maybe maybe her and her parents are on Strong Guys Cruise and she's having a little R&R and then things happen. They come across another boat. Marvel now has access to Alien franchise. Mm-hmm. And... Yutani loves to do stuff at sea. So I don't know, maybe like Monica coming across this <laughs> ship, this abandoned whaling Yutani ship and having to fight xenomorphs. Like that would be a cool little one shot. You know what you should read if you like Alien and you haven't? I'm sorry to like plug one of my clients. <laughs> my client, Alex White, who is an incredible non-binary author, wrote- I've read it. This... Oh, you've read, read Alien, the yes. Cold Forge? Yes. Oh my God. Oh, yes. Okay. So- if, if you could let them know that I am a huge fan. I will. I will. I missed them when they were at Dragon Con, I think, two years ago, because I wanted to go to that panel. Oh, well, I, I will love hook that, that up. Yes. I will hook that up because, like, that book is all about, like, a queer, Black, disabled scientist. Yes. That. <laughs> oh, my God. Small world. Alex was just like, are people going to say like social justice warriors are ruining Alien? But we had a really good response. I think because people are primed with that franchise. It's not like a lot of other franchises. Because it started with a woman. Yeah. People aren't afraid of like women or people of color in that franchise like it no, doesn't like we have, bother people uh, Lathan in the alien versus exactly Twitter, which exactly. i know people don't like them i like that movie i'm sorry um she's a badass in it i like just about anything sana lathan does if i'm yeah. being real i'm a sana lathan head when there was all that rumors about her biting beyonce i was like very <laughs> enthralled not to bring it back to a place of beyonce <laughs> but i was just like sana lathan but you know like a monica xenomorph thing or just really exploring um monica further what they do they kind of touch on this in no road home um about her dealing with the fact that she might be immortal right because like what is your body made of at this point like let's explore that some more yeah i mean i just i I would like to deal even with the fact that like she was a cop before she was a hero and like i get why white writers don't touch that particularly mm-hmm. but i think that a black writer dealing with how does she feel about policing would be interesting she was a harbor police so like what does that yeah look like what is that like you know yeah. i thought about it when i was watching i only watched the first episode because i was just like this show's not for me and that's fine but falcon and the winter soldier oh yeah mm-hmm. when adapara is like on the boat i was just like you know monica was a harbor police woman she should just show up down here like she's from new orleans 
I know. And it's just like, so you all gave Falcon Monica's <laughs> whole thing. Um, Her which is whole funny backstory. Yeah. And I'm like, stop interchanging people's stories. Like Falcon's story <laughs> is wherever he's Not from. that we want Falcon's story the way that it initially was. Absolutely not. No, because he's like a pimp. But um, <laughs> I think they did. Didn't they eventually retcon that where it was they like, that was mind control. It. You were never actually a drug dealing pimp. They retconned it and retconned it again and retconned it one more time. Yeah, like he got Wanda style. Like you have six different origin stories. Like choose your own adventure. But like it's there for Monica. Monica's was very consistent. Monica's like a girl from New Orleans who like became mm-hmm. a harbor cop and then got superpowers and then became a superhero. It's like a very simple. Yeah, and origin has two story. parents that are like really support on Cyclops. Yeah, yeah, which is unusual. Yeah, which is funny. Comic. I uh, yes, and just just this in the superhero world. Period. There's just so much to do. Superheroes usually don't have like supportive parents who know about it's like that's like a mon pa Kent kind of thing, right? Like she had yeah. that. Whereas like, you know, movie Monica doesn't have a father figure. Or a mom anymore. Mom is dead. And now the mom's dead. I mean, well, because Lashana Lynch is fucking busy is why. That's like, of course, that makes that's sense. an unfortunate yeah. case of like, we cast this actress right before she blew up. Right. <laughs> She's not going to come put on old age makeup for us no. to like do cameos in our, like that's just not going to happen, which I, I mean, she probably would if they called her, but like, yeah. she's busy. She's in the new James Bond. Like she's got stuff cool. going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's fine. You wrote a really interesting piece on WandaVision and Monica in it. And I really enjoyed WandaVision, but I was very disappointed with the finale. And I think that in large part, I was disappointed in it because I felt like Monica just peters out. Like her story just sort of falls apart. But before that happens and she just sort of pops up to be like, Wanda, it was great that you tortured all those people. Don't worry about it. I would have done the same thing, which is like wild. The shared narrative of like grieving, I think it made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Like I get the choice. It also puts her in a position to take over the sword station, which would be a very cool, empowered position for her in the MCU if they're mm-hmm. not bringing in Abigail Brand anytime soon, right? So, yeah, you know, I'm hopeful. I mean, Nia DaCosta is doing Captain Marvel too, right? Like, which they're retitling Marvels. Yes, think, now? Uh, so, the Marvels, which, you know, I, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I, I like Black Widow. Did you like Black Which, Widow? Yes, and I'm surprised that I like Black Widow because I didn't like Captain Marvel. I, I also did not like Captain Marvel. I'm going to watch Black Widow, I guess. Um, I think it's worth your time. I love Florence Pugh. And Florence showed up. And I love Rachel Weiss. They show up. It's a strong cast, except for ScarJo. Yeah, I'm just not the biggest fan of, at the very least, the MCU version of that character. So, yeah. you yeah. know, I have just, I was just like, must we? I didn't really understand. The, like, yeah, no, it's, no, for real. Um, but the way that this movie does what it needs to, uh, what, what little they have for the character and actually making yeah. you care. Um, and Jack Schaefer wrote uh, the story. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it makes sense why I'm like, okay, you know, they went to that. I fell out of the MCU around like Endgame. I just was like not been on top oh, of my, um, you know. I don't, and for, I don't stay for the credits anymore. Wild, yeah. I stopped staying right. for the cre- the end credits after maybe Black Panther was the last one. Yeah, I will say WandaVision kind of got me back in because it was clever and I thought it was like, I was like, okay, this is like interesting and good. I, I enjoy yeah. it. Although I will say Eric Ojo made a video about like the whitewashing concerns of WandaVision. Mm-hmm. 
because of the fact that those characters are again supposed to be like Romani people so it's yeah. complicated and that video is well worth watching I posted it on the Twitter if anybody hasn't seen it so uh, just caveat like there is that fortunate too because the show is really good but it is yeah, a but it could have been better if yeah I mean like Elizabeth Olsen is really great in that part yeah. but you are sort of stuck with the fact that Joss Whedon just cast them as white people and we're in this situation so I don't know if there's any elegant way to navigate out of that yeah. Anyway, to get back to Bling, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of people in the uh, in the spotlight, I guess who've eschewed the spotlight. I mean, the thing that's interesting about Bling is she could be a celebutante. Like, she could be a Kardashian type very easily, yeah. who's like, you know, I came from money, I'm in L.A., I'm doing my thing, like, and instead... She wants to be an X-Man. She wants to be a superhero. She wants to be an engineer. She's really into her studies. She hasn't really ever gone out on a limb as a performer yet that we've seen, although I think that would be an interesting way to take it. I think it would be particularly interesting if you took it to a place of Jean Grey, like not Jean Grey, the X-Men character, but like Jean Grey, the rapper. Like if you if she was like a socially yes. conscious rapper, I think that and it would, would make really sense cool. that she would be too. Yeah, yeah, like that's her vibe, right? So like you mm -hmm. have her doing that kind of stuff. I'm a big fan of Jean Grey, the rapper, probably more than I'm a fan of Jean Grey, the character, not to be rude, but, <laughs> you know, someone like that where it's like, you know, someone who's sort of like trying to say something. Yes. Right. Yes. Especially because we've the way her parents music is initially portrayed is like very frivolous. Right. And so yeah. the irony of like bling being someone who's like, actually, I'm here to talk about like systematic oppression. Like, I think that would be kind uh -huh. of cool. What are your favorite stories she has had? Because she hasn't had a ton of stuff, but what would you recommend people pick up? What would you want to flesh out if you had the opportunity to write her? It's going to have to be uh, Generation X, Volume 2, because mm -hmm. that's the one where you don't have to skip around. You can just read all in one sitting and get a real feel for this character um, and how she's been... I don't know, like before this issue, takes, I mean, before the series takes place, um, what she could be in the future, maybe next to that would be like the schism, that whole storyline, because you get to see Bling be more than just a uh, wannabe X-Men. Like they really explore her like being really a genius, her engineering and stuff like that. But Generation X would be the one that I would recommend to folks just because it's the easiest one to follow along with because with bling and a lot of black characters you got to skip around and it gets a little tiring trying to read that way trust me i <laughs> i have um too much experience with that and it's just too much sometimes yeah i mean another option and this is like the way i like not to tell people how the sausage is made but like type in bling marvel reading order into yeah. google and like That's get <laughs> that like Travis Starnes website like he the, Travis is doing us all a solid yes. like I as a man with obsessive compulsive disorder I don't know what Travis Starnes' deal is but he has built an OCD paradise that's just like a database of every appearance it's of fucking so, everybody it's so helpful especially for the characters with such big gaps right like if you want to read all 12 appearances of Zaladane he has got all 12 of yes. them for you in order so if you want to read all gosh how many appearances does Bling have it's a lot I think it's 120 25 bling marvel reading order. yeah i think it's 125 yeah i think that includes like handbooks and stuff i'm looking at the travis mm -hmm. yeah she has 111 with no handbook she has 111 see 
that's nine and a quarter Zaladanes. That's a big deal. And a lot of them are cameos because she's visually striking. So you can put her in a group yep. shot. But still, that's a lot of stuff. So it's hard, even if you have the reading order, you're looking at 111 comics. And it's like, which of these issues is she in for two seconds? And which of these issues does she have like a plot in? So Gen X is a good pick for that because she is like mm -hmm. a regular cast member who's in it the whole time. Much as I'm like mixed on the storyline itself, I think it's probably worthwhile to read the X-Men volume four Brian Wood stuff with her and Mercury okay. just so that, you know, just to have a grounding in the character. But I, I don't love that storyline personally. Yeah. And actually, like, I just reread before this episode the Fox storyline, the Peter Milligan. <laughs> um, it's like <laughs> X-Men 171 to 174. It's so stupid, but it's like really funny. And she is very likable in it. Yeah, she is. Because like Onyx with two X's and a Y, who's like the other character that's sort of introduced here, who's like a very visibly mutated, doesn't even really look human at all. He has this big crush on Fox, Mystique, and Fox is just horrible to him. And at one point, Roxy like confronts her and is like, listen, you don't have to like get with him, but you could at least be nice. Mm -hmm. You're throwing off the vibe, like you're bringing yes. bad vibes to the team. And I was like, you better speak up. <laughs> I know. And Fox is like, oh, what? Because you want Onyx all for yourself and he only has eyes for me. You know, you want him. And she's like, no, I want you if I'm being honest. But like, that's a separate conversation, <laughs> which I enjoyed. Like, but she's like, oh, no, I think you're hot, too. Well, if, if you're into girls, we should have right. that conversation. But like right now you're throwing off the vibe for everybody. You're not, right. you're not helping. We're having a bad time at this <laughs> camp adventure or whatever. We're trying to train here. Right. Don't be so rude. And then, of course, it turns out it's Mystique. And it's like, oh, of course it was fucking Mystique. Mystique is always rude. The funniest thing about this era is how much we're all like, Charles will pay for being so terrible to Mystique. And then it's like, go back to just about any Mystique, Mystique has appeared in it. And she's the worst. And I mean, what's fun about it is like nobody deserves to be treated like no. this, even if they are terrible. But bad it is it's much like apocalypse it's like if you told me that we'd be like apocalypse and mystique deserve everything they want it's like a very it's quite the switcheroo I you know i think it's more so like because of the energy that they give out that's what it's t.s madison said it's like you know you're always working if you're doing this even if it's it's negative or whatever like you will receive a payday you might not like that <laughs> check but I, you will God. receive a payday <laughs> I, i'm very much like thinking about T.S. Madison like on a daily basis right now because I just saw Zola. Yes. It was my first experience in a theater since before the pandemic when I saw Cats. Mm -hmm. So real wild bookends to uh, to the pandemic year. I went with Kendra James, who will be returning to this podcast soon to talk about Sync. It was my last night in L.A. I went out to see Zola. And T.S. Madison has like approximately two seconds of this movie like she's in one scene but it is but you remember you remember some i saw someone on twitter say like if judy dench could get an oscar for shakespeare in love for six minutes like we can do it for t.s madison we agree can um <laughs> so i would support i would support at the very least like a special distinction award for like best monologue yeah. of the year i feel like is owed her that movie's a riot i don't know who she would play but like Taylor Page would be a great X-Men. Monet. I feel like Monet, maybe you want someone who like also has like Arab heritage going on. Oh, yeah, you're right. You know what? And it's so, <laughs> this is something that I would love to like really, like Monet is as a character, Bishop as well in Shard, where they have been 
kind of black presenting in the comics, but right. not, that isn't necessarily like. Monet has been emphatically established to like be black. She's just also Arab. Like, right. That's, yeah, that's, Shard and Bishop, though, yeah, it's really messy with them. Right. But you know what? This goes back to, because even with Monet, like, okay, so like have someone of like either mixed background or something like kind of like feed into that and let us like write to that experience or whatever. Same thing with um, Bishop and Shard because they aren't black. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that has to get fixed. Like, if they're going to keep drawing him as a black man, which they clearly are, and treating him as the black X-Man, which they do, I think we need to just establish that his mother was African or something. It's, like, very easy to do. Just, like, because it it comes down to a bunch of white guys in the 90s not realizing that Australian Aboriginals are not black. Yeah. Yeah. That's the basic thing right or like not mm-hmm. not black in this i don't mean to be offensive to no no no. I, got, I get what you mean no. you get what i'm saying like yes not of african descent yes any more than anybody else like right, no, everybody's of african descent at the end of the day right so like, no, i'm like oh god you. i'm gonna get canceled no it's exactly what you're saying is that like they are visually black presenting people they're mm-hmm. treated as black by white people but it's a different thing but i think that for bishop who is identified so much as a black character, like Omar Sy played him in the movie. Like it's, you know, they need to just make them mixed, I think. The implication was always that Storm was their grandmother. Yeah, it's so In all that really old 90s stuff. So it's like, just let them be like part Kenyan or something. It's fine. Something just figure, like just, you need these distinctions. Monet, I think you want like a Yara Shahidi type. Like Yara Shahidi is a Agreed, yes. But like yes. you want someone like that who has like the mixed background. Mm-hmm. Then Taylor, um, another reason why I said Monet is because of the personality. Well, because she's so stunningly gorgeous and has that yes. personality. Yeah. Exactly. No, it was my first thought too. And then I was like, mm, maybe not. Because I know that there's yeah. like lots of things to think about with Monet. But somebody, because she is just a delight in that movie. She's so, and like, all I could think was, and it sucks that this is our first thought now with any actor is like, they'd be a great superhero movie person. But like, I know. But like, I, mean, I want them to get paid. I yeah. do. And I was just thinking, I was just like, she would be really good as somebody. And they'll be on all the things after that. So, um yeah exactly well like that's the thing is like the a24 to marvel pipeline is real because like look at florence Pugh, Mm -hmm. who is like i think florence Pugh is probably the most talented young actress of her generation period that i've ever Uh, seen the way that she carries black widow yes i mean i haven't seen that one yet but i've heard she acts her fucking face off Mm -hmm. and listen if she can do like 50 lady Macbeth and midsummer type movies because she's doing a black widow every couple years i think that's perfect yeah. Like if that keeps her in in her art house weird career as much as she wants because she doesn't have to worry about money, that's ideal. Yeah. So let's get that for Taylor Page. I feel like there's we could we could find her somebody. I just kept thinking I she's just, just like so a character, hell. Or yeah, like care. somebody. Just, yeah, she's just so gorgeous that I was just like, man, she looks like a comic book character. I was she just does. like, you know, it's like <laughs> so really I just put her in a thing. <laughs> Honestly. If she did play, like, not Monet, but, like, someone of that generation, kind of, you could cast Riley Keough as Boom Boom. Yes. And they could, like, Actually, be yes. friends again together. Because <laughs> that the chemistry was so electric that I feel like you could really... It was there, um, even though, um, like, Zola uh, definitely, like, uh, 
what was her name? Stephanie deserved to be down, but like Oh yeah, for sure. Her. But like yeah. but that like the, the the actresses you can tell they really vibed. Like yeah. so I would love to see them in another project together. I feel like I mean honestly, well now I'm like do I mean we've already got a Monica, but now I'm like do next wave. Like <laughs> I mean, why not? <laughs> like, why not? Like, honestly, if you've got, like, now that there's been a positive response to Tiana Paris's Monica, like, fucking do next wave. Yeah. Like, fucking do it. And then it, and it leads you right into not even a Mighty Avengers, but maybe pick up where the Mighty Avengers kind of the second volume, Captain America and yeah, uh, the, the way that they kind of lead things off with Monica and the Beyond Corporation. Maybe do something mm-hmm. with that. Um, that's a comic thing that could be done. Well, I keep saying that like Elsa Bloodstone is begging to be a Disney Plus show. Oh my God, yes. You know who you get for that? You get Sophie Turner. Absolutely. You treat it like Castlevania. Yes, you let Sophie Turner be like her actual self from Instagram married to a Jonas brother instead of like being mm-hmm. a Game of Thrones person. And you let her like do Elsa Bloodstone and like hunt monsters. Yeah. Do the Elsa Bloodstone show and then get somebody to be Boom Boom who's hilarious, whether it's Riley Key or somebody else. And then bring Monica and Elsa and Boom Boom and get somebody to be Machine Man and just like do yeah. the fucking next wave. I mean, like, I know that like the Warren Ellis of it all is very complicated. I know. I was that, speaking of Castlevania, yeah. but don't hire him to write it. You know, and that turned me off so bad because I really enjoyed Castlevania on um, the first three seasons. And I still haven't watched season like, four yet because no, I'm like, same really because weird yeah. about it. Yep. Yeah, it's a bummer. So why don't we get into, we got a couple questions from the listeners about Bling, and then we will segue into chatting about your work at Marvel, your work at DC, what you're up to, because I want to give you an opportunity to plug. And uh, hopefully it's a little grandiose of me, but I always hope that when I have talent on, that this is like on some level, just them getting an opportunity to pitch whatever the fuck they want to pitch. And then hopefully like talent is listening. You know what I mean? Like, I hope like, so. Give these people a call, right? Well, ever <laughs> since Tony came on and did the Iceman episode and then got to write the Iceman story for the Pride issue. Yeah, so... I'm like, I feel like I'm manifesting things now. Like You are the Manifest Podcast. I'm trying it. I'm trying. I'm like, when <laughs> Zaladane appears in all her glory on the pages of... I had lunch with Jerry Duggan last week when I was out in LA. And I was just like, so what do I have to do to get Zaladane into this book? And he was just like... <laughs> I, he was like, I can't comment on it. I was like, no, it's fine. I'm not, I'm not actually asking you to. I'm just saying, if you did, I will accept it as a right. personal gift it will be a present just put in the bug in your ear you know yeah. right. just, i'm just saying it would be fun. well no i felt so bad because jordan d white was on x-men monday and chris Hassan asked him like so with lorna on the team is zaladane gonna pop back up and jordan was like oh my god zaladane and had to like google to remember <laughs> and, and chris was like oh like she's mentioned in every episode of the cerebral podcast i'm like please don't tell jordan that you're doing this because i'm weird <laughs> Like, please don't force him to Google Zaladane, Queen of the Sun people, because Connor can't shut the fuck up. But you know what? Sometimes you develop a platform and then things just start happening. You know? Yeah, it's true. You don't realize that you're starting a movement for Zal awareness until the Zalagang is already at your back and you're like on Pteranodon back marching into the future to promote this character who's only appeared 12 times. So let's get into the listener questions and then we will talk a bit about your work in general. 
Kelsey Harris writes, Hi, Connor and Stephanie. I was excited to see that Stephanie was the guest coming in to talk about Bling. Stephanie, Living Heroes is so clever and so fun, and I'm glad to see you getting more work with Marvel and DC. Bling has so much potential as a character, but is very underutilized. Isn't that the theme of this podcast? She's an obvious foil to her Academy X classmates, like that little gay lizard Anole. She even has her own big rock friend, Onyx, and the other queer black student, Prodigy. Unlike either Anol or Prodigy, Bling seems to gravitate toward other visible mutants as potential partners. See Fox, Mercury, and maybe Transonic in that one panel of the Green Lagoon in X-Force number nine. I forgot she was flirting with Transonic. I love that for her. <laughs> On top of all that, she's the child of two horrendously named hip-hop legends, Mutanity's very own Blue Ivy. If you could put Bling on a team book with anyone, who would it be? And what kinds of stories would you like to see to explore the fullness of her intersecting identities? Side question, do we think that the young black mutants so rarely seen speaking to each other on panel have a group chat? Take care, Kelsey. So they absolutely have a group chat. There's always a group chat. Two meet, <laughs> others follow. <laughs> and I think because we brought this up earlier, but... I think she will work best on a group, if we're doing a group thing with um, other lesbian characters and they have like, again, like maybe three, four issues and it's something similar to um, Mystery and Magipore. Do you remember that? Um, well, please, as the Betsy Braddock fan of the, well, I thanked Jim Zub personally for Mystery and Magipore because I was like, I've spent my whole life waiting for someone to fix Psylocke and you finally did it. Yes. Like, undo all that weird shit. And he was like, yeah, I never liked that. You're welcome. I was like, yeah, but... Shout out to him for that. Shout out to him for that. Mystery and Magipore is great, though. I, it's a fun little mini. Yeah. I love like a like an adventure. Yeah. Like a little mini series, like some gals having a having an adventure kind of moment is always fun. Yeah. And I, I say do that and then introduce the the power, the, the new power set and her again, I just really think it would be very interesting for this character to explore, like being worried about being seen as normal and like staying at the X Academy because it allows her to be quote unquote normal. So finally getting an opportunity to be normal again in society, but then realizing like, Oh crap, I'm still a black woman. <laughs> yeah that is first and foremost the thing but then also like realizing you don't actually enjoy yes like yes. you know actually i'm happier because as kelsey points out she does seem drawn romantically to women who have other visible mutations like even fox yes. you know we didn't say like the form that mystique takes as fox is like chalk white skin and blue hair mm-hmm sort of sharp teeth like she's got like yellow eyes she's like very much looks like a mutant yeah it's actually a cool new character design it's a shame that it just turns out to be mystique <laughs> because you're kind of like this character's cool i would love that little lesbian squad i'm like i don't know what we call it but like it would be fun yeah like what is gay life like on krakoa i keep saying like i want christian frost to open up like a little gay bar called homo superior i still think that would be <laughs> Like, you know, like on the island, no, it's like, right. we all love the Green Lagoon, but sometimes you want to go to Homo Superior and like <laughs> Wednesday is this ladies night. And like, that's when we like key in on karma and gimmick and bling and Mercury and Loa. And it's like all like Elward style, like everybody's fucked everybody, yeah. everybody's drama, except for karma, who like they're all so much younger than her that she's just like. Right. She's just like wandering through like, you kids okay? Like, girls, you need anything? Don't let Gabby drink. She's 14. You know, like, right. <laughs> this kind of stuff would be cute. A little like queer lady, lesbian teen adventure would be hilarious. Outside of that, I think, I mean, we've talked about how like bouncing her off Dazzler would be fun. Mm -hmm. I think that she also 
would do. I mean, I would love to see a new volume of a book called Generation X. Oh, absolutely. Because I love what Vita is doing on New Mutants, but I do think that there are so many characters in that age range that much like with yes. Way of X, it makes sense to have different titles where those characters are sort of doing different things. And so like New Mutants could be an emphasis on training and on the schooling and all of that. But you could have a book called Generation X that's more just generally about like youth culture of being like a Krakoan teen. Yeah. You could put together a fun crew of characters from that age group i'd love to see like have bling and dust ever interacted i feel like they would be really fun just like as people having a conversation i don't think so yeah i'm a big dust head myself like i think that character's awesome like she's in the previews for the next issue of way of x and i'm really excited because she's just like telling all the adults they're stupid which is like one of my favorite dust like repeated she's just always like it's not wrong she's just like guys like what are you doing like (laughs) which is just very like she's just very matter of fact in that way which i always like that would be fun and dust and mercury are our friends because they were on that hellion squad together so i feel like that would be and that like bling must know her yeah she would have to who else is fun from that group i mean like i don't like a knoll but uh, you know, you could do something with him, I guess, at some point. Oh, bring back like Shark Girl and uh... that right? No, I mean, listen, Shark Girl should be queer too. She's a big fucking shark. She's like should yeah. be like a cool queer girl who's a shark, in my opinion. But I like yeah. think all X Men. I think all X Men characters should be I queer, obviously. Big, but so, like, yeah. yeah, but like, I would love. I mean, honestly, Bling dating Shark Girl would be hilarious. It would. I would be super fun. into that because like Bling is again Indivisible Mutants, and Shark Girl can turn back and forth mm-hmm. so that could be if you give bling that ability it could be something that she and shark girl explore because shark girl despite the fact shark girl can turn into a regular person prefers to be a shark girl yeah. and you see her like hanging out on krakoa as a shark girl you know and shark girl and loa are probably like tight because they're like yeah. people so like then again like the whole complicated like l word polycule of like are Mercury and Bling in an open relationship? Did Mercury and Bling break up? Is Mercury dating Loa now? Is Mercury dating whoever? Like, and then you could have Shark Girl like thrown in the mix, and she's just like, "Well, if Loa's gonna try and date Mercury, I'm gonna steal Mercury's girl." Yeah, look, look at it. The double dates are built in. I'm into this. It writes itself. And uh, Shark Girl is also a character of color, which is yeah. kind of hilarious <laughs> to think about. Oh my god, like, she's a shark most of the time, but like, <laughs> she is Brazilian. And that helps fix that problem. Well, not that problem, but like, you know, there were opportunities to not. It's just, it's tiring. Yeah. That's a good moment to get into the next question, which is from Alex Thornton. First, I want to give Alex a shout out because Alex, who goes by Big Shiny Mountain on the Discord and is a fun contributor to the Discord, we've had fun conversations about North Star and Kyle in particular because we're both very like, mm, and he's like a black gay man. <laughs> just like, but like, I don't know about all of this. He wrote the funniest like PS in the email, which is PS, I'm black, but please don't do an accent because a lot of people write it on the oh. show and they're like, I'm British. Do you want to do an accent? I'm Australian. And that made me laugh out. I was like, I was not going to, but thank you for the note. <laughs> to Alex Thornton writes, Connor, I'm a big, big fan of you and the show, so thank you for your work. Bling seems like a character who will always struggle to break out of the cameo tier, and I'm mostly okay with that, but I often wonder what to think about how Black identity interacts with mutant skin tones in general. If Bling is in fact a perpetual cameo character, but she doesn't register as Black to most readers, does she still count as representation? 
What about Maggot, who's sometimes a human color, but generally needs to be blue to be recognizable? Or Blink, who Marvel kind of seems to think is Asian, but was later revealed to be a black girl from the Bahamas. Does anyone else even know that? They put a little curl in her hair for a few issues of Exiles, but that didn't last long. Plus, that's not even our Blink. I've always considered Apocalypse black, but I don't know if Marvel shares that interpretation. And Araco complicates things even more. Iska and Genesis are bad bitches drawn to look like black women, so they're invited to my cookout. But part of me feels like they're cheating again by introducing more characters who are coded as black but have some mitigating factor attached. Mm -hmm. For that matter, Bishop, Sunspot, Monet, and Manifold are characters who I also call black, but real-life people with their backgrounds may or may not be down with that. And I love Storm, but I'm not going to talk about Storm today. I chuckled the first time I saw She-Hulk in Living Heroes because I low-key headcanon Jenny as black, too. I'd love to hear Stephanie's thoughts on this cohort of black if you want them to be mutants and how they might think their blackness intersects with their lives as Krakoans. Ideally, she'd be able to answer in the form of a book that Marvel Comics paid her white man money to write, but hearing about it on Cerebro would be fantastic in the meantime. Thanks, Alex, a.k.a. Big Shiny Mountain on the Discord. Thank you for writing in, Alex. That was a really great question. Thank you, Alex. What do you think about all of that? Um, That he is right. Um, <laughs> that is the annoying thing. Um, so, like, early on, like, a lot of these characters, because there weren't too many Black characters, you just grabbed on to whoever you could. Um, mm -hmm. And if they were, like, you know, there were just things of Blackness that you just kind of connected with that weren't inherently there on purpose for the character, but this happened, like, with Jen, right? Right. Because she is, like, this, and she's herself, like, this really tall, hulking, masculine uh, woman, and I don't know, like, I just kind of uh, connected to that, but they are cheating, <laughs> and it's tiring, um, because let's get some more, first off, just people of color writing these comics, um, just X-Men in general, because Period, I just yeah. feel like that would push the stories way further than where they are um, now. And not that they're not doing, not like what they're doing right now isn't interesting. This is the first time that I've like really been interested in the X-Men because they're kind of like, okay, fuck y'all, we're going to do what we're going to do, right? Right, we're going to do us, right. Bling, I just, I have no choice but to like think of her as a black girl because her name is Bling. Yeah, they do give you the code name, right? They just give it to you. As opposed to Blink, which is confusing, right? Yes. One thing holding Bling back, I think, a little bit is that Blink is a more popular character. Absolutely. Although the version of Blink that is popular is the Exiles version, as Alex is pointing out. Yeah. And she's the Age of Apocalypse version, who's not the mainline Blink that we're seeing now in the comics, which mm -hmm. is the 616 Blink, who's been a very minor character. The thing that is interesting about Blink, though, it goes to show you how these movies and TV shows and things do impact perception because Absolutely. people thought of Blink as a white character and then Fan Bingbing was cast in the Days of Future Past movie and then Jamie Chung was cast on The Gifted Show. And now I think people definitely do think of Blink as an Asian character, mm -hmm. except Saladin Ahmed went back to the notes, the design notes for Phalanx Covenant from back in the 90s and saw that Blink was supposed to be Bahamian. So in his Exiles volume, they gave Blink a natural black hair texture yeah. and had her meet with relatives of hers in the Bahamas who were very clearly black people. Yeah. So now she's a black character, but she's perceived by fans as either white or Asian. And regardless, she's pink. So is that representation? Like, what is that? 
mean? What is it? I mean, Storm is sort of the original example, right? Like lots of people didn't clock that Storm was black when they were kids because yeah, she was blue blonde, eyes, white hair, blue eyes, yeah. right? Like it isn't until quite honestly the aughts really like the 21st century that Storm is consistently drawn with black facial features at all. Yeah. I totally get why that would have been ambiguous for some and people. Then, as I bring this up on, um, there's a, um, a Marvel podcast that I did and I don't want to give it away because I don't think they've talked about it yet, but just kind of talking about a lot of these characters with their white creators in one of two things. You have a Storm and T'Challa, T'Challa is from a fictional African country, right? Right. Um, so they can kind of make it up as they go along, as they talk about his blackness, because it is from this fictional country. It's not really affected by what blackness means to be in America, even though he's in over in America being an Avenger and stuff. And it's not until ooh, like 30 something appearances that he actually explores what it means to be a black person in America. Because mm-hmm. for a while, like, no one knows that Chala is black uh, except for his teammates, which is hilarious to me because I don't know. Because he's going around in a suit calling himself the Black Panther? Yeah, just, I mean, it I, is like, I, right, yeah. Like, it's right there, but... Remember when he was the Black Leopard for like a hot second because they yes, got nervous and it was like, about the political party? <laughs> and then they were like, this is stupid. And they changed it back, yeah. They're like, we're not doing all that work. But um, by <laughs> making a lot of these characters um, kind of Black-coded um, or part-time Black or whatever you want to call it, um, it's kind of having your cake and eating it too because you can, um, as a bright creator, who you know, if you're writing these characters, you don't really have to be authentic to blackness in america or kenya or uh, the bahamas or whatever because this character isn't always presenting in that way or this country does not actually exist so you know how are you going to tell me what this character should be doing when they don't really identify in a real world way as you do right or when they don't experience that life like blink in terms of how the character has been presented, like Blink, this is again, Blink. Yeah. Clarice Ferguson. Let's call them Clarice and Roxy while we're having this discussion, <laughs> I guess. So like Clarice doesn't experience racism no. in the way that a black person does. She experiences anti-mutant prejudice in the way that Nightcrawler does. Mm-hmm. That's actually, Exiles is a weird one because Nocturne, that character who's in Exiles with her, who's Kurt and Wanda's daughter, is introduced with braids, like with box braids. And definitely, like, again, talk about, like, a black code. She even says, like, I don't date white boys at one point. It was like, yeah, you are <laughs> white. You're just blue. Well, right? I guess she's half Roma, but, like, she's definitely, like, if she wasn't blue, she would be, be white presenting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, pre- yes, so presenting, like, yes. Because Wanda certainly is, and Kurt is just mm-hmm. white, but he's blue. So it's, like, a very weird... Yeah. That's a weird moment. But I'm going to say, if, if those two women were walking down the street, the one who would be more likely to face, like, a misogynoir incident mm-hmm. would be Nocturne, not Blink. So it's, like, a very yes. weird, like, moment. It's so weird. Um, and this is, again, I just think why why moving, like, as we continue to move forward with the X-Books, like, just more people of color writing them because um, maybe at some point somebody can finally like address what it means to be black and a mutant and a woman or black and a mutant and queer because I just feel like that just that that triples up the uh the problems and there's just 
a lot to explore in what that means. Because you have like the Morlocks and like they kind of explore what it means to be like a human passing mutant versus a mutant that... Visibly marked versus not. And making Storm the queen of the Morlocks definitely felt like a deliberate choice that Claremont was making to be like... Absolutely. She's taking on the responsibility of these characters who can't pass, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's her making a stance. But then they became unwieldy to deal with, so they all get killed off in the mutant massacre a couple years later, you know, because it was like, we've got too many characters running around. What I will say is, I agree with you that I think a lot of it has to do with who's behind the pen. Like, Teeny Howard has Romany heritage. She's writing Megan now, and Megan is a very, talking about white passing characters, like Megan is a very complicated character. She comes from a very stereotypical Romani Shaw background, Mm -hmm. but is a white blonde presenting person. And I think it's at the very least cool to have someone with similar heritage writing the character. Absolutely. I would love to see Teeny work with Margali Sardish and Amanda Sefton. Yes. I'd love to see Teeny write something with Wanda and Pietro. You know, like that would be really cool to me. Similarly, Vita Ayala writing Children of the Atom. This most recent issue that's like about Carmen and Storm sort of understanding each other as sisters in that way. Yeah. It felt special. Mm-hmm. We've seen Storm do that for a lot of young women. Yeah. We've seen Storm do that for Kitty. We've seen Storm do that for Jubilee. We've seen Storm do that. Even though Storm, I would say, is not an intrinsically maternal person necessarily. No. She is very protective of young women and wants to help them thrive. Yes. It wasn't until reading that issue that it occurred to me we've never seen Storm do it for a Black girl, I don't think. No. That moment of like, come sister with me to Krakoa. Yes. And I also was struck by the fact that they had different skin tones in that splash panel. Like, and it wasn't, it's not that they're like different, they're not lighter or darker than each other necessarily, Mm -hmm. but it's like a different like undertone. Yeah. Warmth to it. And Carmen has like sort of a warmer, like almost olive because she's Afro Latina. I was just sort of like, look at the thought that goes into this and like points to the Mm -hmm. colorist because I think that shows a lot of care, but it also feels like, I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen the script, but I feel like that's something where Vita probably made a note. Yeah. I put like Fenty 460 when I'm when I'm put explaining. Put some Fenty shades down, I, right? Exactly. I always put Fenty shades down when I'm like, this is what I mean. We don't, I don't want you to mix it up. <laughs> that is interesting. And that's the kind of thing you get because someone who is Black is writing that and is explicating the difference between Storm, a half African-American, half Kenyan woman who grew up in Egypt and Kenya, and Mm -hmm. this girl who is Afro-Latina and grew up in New York City. And like the difference between them as people, yes, you know, the generational difference between them, Mm -hmm. the cultural differences between them, all of this stuff. And you get so much of that from this very brief scene. I mean, I'm interested to see where Carmen goes from here because I think that that character is a real delight. I mean, she's the real breakout of that book to me. I really have enjoyed the book overall. I think it's right that it's ending with six. It definitely feels like it's a mini series, but that then you can pivot them into something else, like that character in particular. So I'm excited to see where that goes. I think... I think that it's why we need more visible characters like Carmen yeah, or like Prodigy. I mean, there's been a lot of debate about the most recent story involving Prodigy, but I think that the fact that we're having the conversation is because that character is unambiguously a queer black man. Absolutely. And there's no cheating. He's not purple. He's not, you know, I mean, yeah. even 
I was talking to someone about how few they see characters there are in superhero comics, but particularly in the mm-hmm. X-Men franchise. You know, I was counting them up. It was like Karima Shapandar, who's like a sentinel, she's not a mutant. Mm-hmm. Trinary, who is a character that people feel complicated ways about, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I was like, and I guess there's Indra, but Indra is purple and has red hair. Yep. There's this thing where because of the success of characters like Nightcrawler, you get that urge to create mutant characters who have these sort of technicolor appearances. But with Kurt, you weren't losing anything by doing that because otherwise he would just be a white guy. Yeah. It's not taking away that other thing. Whereas like when Maggot is presented as having navy blue skin, it's like, but he's a black South African. That's a unique Mm-hmm. character to have in the X-Men. It makes much more sense to have that character look like a Black South African if you're going to tell a story about a Black South African mutant. It does. You know what it makes me think of and why I'm surprised that they... I'm happy that they didn't do this. So for... And I just it's like DC, but Batwoman. Yeah. When Ryan replaced Kate. Kate, I was like, ooh, I hope that they just don't put this back, Black woman in the cow and then like treat her as though... She's still Kate. They don't do that. Right. They treat, like, Ryan is just a whole new character. The way that she operates as Batwoman, things that affect her, the things that she cares about are all very tied to her being a Black ex-con. Yeah. A queer Black ex-con on top of that. Yeah, and that character has really taken off, so I wouldn't be surprised if she makes her way, not as Batwoman, but probably as something else. Like, yeah, of course. Like, give her her own identity in the comic, probably, but... I think that that would be fun. Bring her in. I mean, I had very mixed, like I felt very complicated about that changeover because Batwoman, Kate, Kane, as like one of, I mean, they didn't cast a Jewish actress, but as one of the few Jewish superheroes, you know, it was like, I hate that sometimes it feels like we're trading. Oh no. You know, like I'm like, because especially with like, I mean, and I feel stupid complaining about it because like, white Jewish people are not like underrepresented in media generally, but there is something about the superhero genre since Jewish people created it that like, there are so few characters. And so when we lose one, I'm like, ah, no, completely get that. I was very happy at least that if they were writing Kate Kane out, they replaced her with a character who was also an intersecting minority of some kind. Yes. I was like, good. Yeah. Do a character of color. If you're going to do a new character instead, that was fine with me, but it was one of those things where it's like, ah, but losing Kate Kane sucks. I know. But I do think that, you know, that new character, Ryan, Ryan Wilder, I think. Is yes. Right? Uh-huh. I don't watch the show particularly, but obviously it trends every time it's on the air. And that says it all, right? But yeah. because it trends, like I'll click the button and I'll see little clips and stuff. I mean, that actress is stunning, first of all, but also yes. just like really good. She has like a real, I mean, not, you know, no disrespect to the previous actress but it's definitely a an acting upgrade i would say right absolutely and it would just be nice in general if you know like we could just instead of trading characters because a lot of that is happening still um yeah that we would just not do that i wish we didn't have to fight over like which minority gets the character i know it's just so, so goofy annoying. i mean it's just, it is <laughs> <It's> annoying like... <laughs> as hell <laughs> Because um, it's just, it's frustrating. Yeah, or like, you know, people are talking about New Mutants, like, and again, Vita has such a huge cast on that book, and it's like, you think about it, and this, I will say, this is points to Chris Claremont, because he created all of these characters, and, you know, to varying degrees of success, we've talked about how, like, Xi'an Koi Ma is not, like, a real 
Vietnamese name or like what you know, mm-hmm. there's 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 messy stuff. You know, Sunspot was speaking Spanish for years. Like there's there's mistakes, clearly. But that cast is pretty strikingly diverse for a uh, mm-hmm. cast of characters that go back that far, all the way back to two. And you look at it and it's like, but what that means is that when Vita's deciding who gets focus in this arc, it's like, who gets focus today? The Vietnamese lesbian, the Native American woman, the Native American man, the Black Brazilian man, like who's going to get a story? And it's frustrating that we often, because they are in these ensemble casts or because they are so rare, there aren't enough, that it feels almost like we have to compete for page space with other minority groups, which is like really, I mean, I'm not saying anything new, like everybody's- No, no, you're not, but- But it's just, it's it's still frustrating, like to this day. And I actually think Vita's doing a great job of balancing it. Like that cast feels very balanced to me, even though there's like 50 characters. Mm -hmm. That's tricky. It's a hard thing to do, you know? It is. And I wish that we didn't have to fight about it. Like, no, and I think that's why I'm <laughs> grateful for the, the character that I'm currently writing. I was about to say, let's segue into your exciting work right now. Take it away. So the first thing, because <laughs> like a lot of people know that I really love Marvel, but also DC. I just love comics in general, so I don't mm-hmm. play favoritism. But um, it's just funny that DC, like the longer story that I wrote was for Wonder Woman, Black and Goat. Um, issue two and it's the Nubia and Wonder Woman story yeah and it's just them working together against uh, Artemis because <laughs> I just I love Artemis as a character but Artemis has always been kind of like a I don't know, like a guy Gardner of the Amazons to me like yeah she's difficult yeah but I still like I still enjoy enjoy her though, yeah, yeah, yeah. as a character in that way I love I love the way that she functions she has the magma problem of being like a white woman from Egypt. You know what yes, I mean? Where it's yes. just kind of like, this is, she's like, we're, I'm from in this ancient Egyptian culture. And it's like, why are you a white redhead though? And it's like similarly, it's similar to the magma. And there were at least like white blonde ancient Romans. So it's not that right. crazy that magma is white. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. That she's also like the Brazilian girl. And you're like, hmm. But she's never sure? been. like she's never been to a Brazilian city. She's only ever been to this ancient Roman colony. And like similarly, it's like I'm. I, it's either Egypt or Libya, where I don't remember exactly where Bana McDall is. But... Um, trying to figure that out, but yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, still, if you that, find that out, still, let me know, like, right? Because yeah. I'm also like, obviously, I don't talk about DC that much on this podcast, but I'm also like a DC fan. Not just not as much, I would say, but like if they ever need somebody to write the Enchantress or Zatanna or Madame Xanadu or one of those weird witches. I'm always gay. <laughs> yes, Madame Xanadu. I love a witch moment. What can I say? Yeah. Like, I, when I went and did my classics major, my mother was like, oh, so you're majoring in witches now. And I was like, not incorrect. I was like, like, looking <laughs> at all my term wrong. papers, I was like, no, mom, I'm talking about mystery cults. I'm like, oh, that's witchcraft. That's actually <laughs> literally, that's literally witchcraft. Never mind. What is your approach sort of generally to tackling something as mythic is the word, right, as Wonder Woman and making it contemporary in terms of race, right? Because like Diana and Nubia, that is the, I mean, her name is Nubia. Like Mm -hmm. you can't get more in your face about it, right? 
but they're also these sort of ancient beings. So like, what's your your sort of thought process there? The short story that I wrote, um, it was kind of easy because it was self-contained. So it was just them mm-hmm. being um, like really competitive and playing uh, ninja, like a Amazon version of a ninja course. The like, like a ninja warrior, American ninja, yeah. ninja warrior course. They're the Amazon like, ninja warrior competitors. Yeah, and just treating it that way. The exciting big thing, though, that has just been announced is that you are writing Nubia and the Amazons. Yeah, and funny, because Misty Night's Underformed Afro, the podcast I used to do, where we focused on Black superheroines, uh, Nubia, we had an episode, and there was barely anything to talk about. Because while Nubia has existed for decades and has a fan base as though she's been in a bunch of books... But I think I've read every appearance of Nubia because there's she's got like a Zaladane. She's like 12. Yeah, like that's, yeah. She's like literally 12. Because there's that initial story from the 70s, I want to say. Yes, uh-huh. Where she she's like Mars's up. champion. And mm-hmm. then she has that one, the like the famous panel, like Nubia, my black sister from uh, the Super <laughs> Friends book when she's like the Wonder Woman of Africa with that cool costume where she has like that sort of feather. Yeah. Headdress thing. It's neat. She has an appearance in Supergirl 19. I always Mm -hmm. offhandedly remember that because the coloring is off and Nubia is unconscious for most of the book. Love that. Great. Cool. (laughs) Then she has that weird appearance where she's like the consort of the Zoroastrian god Uhura Mazda when she's like Nubia with an apostrophe, right? There's an elevator to hell. There's an elevator to hell, like very Angel season two. Yes. That doesn't really go anywhere. And then Grant Morrison brought her back as like an alternate version of Wonder Woman in Final Crisis and all that stuff. Oh, like, right, right, right. It was like Nubia of the Wonder Women of Amazonia right. or whatever. For, right. But it was an alternate Earth. Yes. So that was weird. And now I guess she's back. I'm not super caught up on DC right now. My sense is that she's now back as like Diana's sister, the way that she was back in the day or no, is that no. not? No, so we're, we're changing that. Cause I guess, cause you can't have, cause it used to be back in the day for yeah. the younger listeners that Hippolyta, the, the reveal was that Hippolyta had made two statues with two different <laughs> colors of clay that they happened to have. And that Nubia was from the darker clay and Diana was from the lighter clay. But since the statue origin has been out with Wonder Woman for a long time now, I guess you have to do something different, right? Yeah. And I don't even know if I can speak to it just yet, but we do something different that still connects Diana and Nubia, but gives Nubia more of her own um, origin, her own thing separate from Diana. Because that was that is pretty much... My goal with this um, six issue series is to one, give Nubia as much history as I possibly can in hopes that, you know, maybe another book will come uh, or another mini series and I can kind of build on that. But um, Nubia is the queen of the the Mascarans now because Hippolyta has left in Infinite Frontier. Nubia is crowned uh, the new queen of the mascara. And I know because Hippolyta leaves to go be with the Justice League. And it's just kind of like, well, you know, like, why wouldn't Nubia go? But no, let me tell you why I'm happy that that's not the case is because now Nubia gets to have her T'Challa moment. And Themyscira does too, because you get to see how it works as her figuring out what it means to be a queen for her. And also how Themyscira works Mm -hmm. and what are the inner workings of that. So playing with that and setting this character apart from Diana because 
for a long time, it's just been, yeah, like Diana's black sister, Wanda Black Wonder Woman. Right. It's a subordinate position and you can make her her own heroine. It's the Monica uh, Carroll conundrum that we now have in MCU. We didn't used to have, but now we we do. Right. Yeah. I was kind of looking at that and a lot of influence from the door of Melage because you have the sisterhood. Mm -hmm. Um, there that is on display and just kind of injecting that into Anubia and her Amazons. Yeah, because of course Hippolyta's lover, Philippus, is also like a black Amazon. So there's been... Yeah. Is there a connection made there? Maybe yeah, that there's a fun. connection there. There's a there's a lot of a lot. This is what we don't get in comics a lot in general. Period um, is a yeah. lot of conversations between two black women characters when it's not a thing because it's Black History Month. Right. It's not a special issue. It's, it's just not, they no. are both existing in the store. Yes. That's why I was so struck by that moment between Aurora and Carmen at the end of that yeah. the Adam issue because it was like, how often do we see this? Like, not that often. We don't see it know? a lot. <laughs> Similarly, in the giant size Storm issue, when Monet is the one who figures out mm-hmm. how to deal with Storm's like computer virus infection or whatever, I was just like, have they ever spoken before on panel? Like, it was just a moment where I paused and was like, huh, it is unusual to see that, which it shouldn't be. Yeah. But it still is. It shouldn't. It still is. Because every now and again, you'll get Storm and like Misty Knight. What was it from the uh, Black Panther and the crew? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or like, because Jean Grey only hung out with Black women in the 70s. So sometimes you would have Jean and Aurora or Jean and Misty and then like they would cross paths. Or like Aurora was jealous of Stevie Hunter. Yeah, when that was Kitty weird. first starts going to Stevie's class because she's like, oh no, like Kitty's found a new like black woman to be her <laughs> mother new- figure. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> right. Which is that's kind of the vibe where you're like, Chris, like, it is. Like, they smooth it over. They and they end up they being do. friends. But it is just one of those things. Yeah, and these are things that I'm keeping in mind as I've been writing this and just wanting to showcase, but I just wanted to really show folks like, you know, if Nubia was off in Man's World and hanging with the Justice League, we wouldn't be able to focus on her. Right. Because we got all the other heroes around. So it's not necessarily benching this character by making her queen of the Amazons. I think there's a lot to explore because there's the whole thing of like, you know, people expecting so much from Black women, but not really putting them in a position where they can affect change. Well, I, for one, I'm going to pick that up. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to pre-order because pre-orders are important. If you are listening and you don't know that, they are important. They show the big two that there's interest in these books and these characters. So I suggest doing that and pre-order physical if you can, just because, again, those sales count more, which is annoying, but it's just a fact. Yeah, it's true. So if you care about something like this where you think it's an important book, I always suggest doing that. These kinds of things where it's like, let's take a chance. It's a six issue. It's a minority creator. It's a minority character. It's nice to see that. And it's not the kind of book like, I don't mean to single out Venom, but like Venom is always going to be there. You know what I mean? Like these books are a little more ephemeral and it's important, I think, to support them materially uh, in addition to talking about how cool they are. Yeah, because the art is, it's almost a damn near all black team. Yeah, who's the art? Alethea. Oh! Martinez, yeah. And also um, Ayala is... um, also uh, helping with the story. So that's been well, nice that's to exciting. learn. <laughs> yeah, it's been really great to have Vita mentor me. We're talking about this before the official announcement, so I didn't know. Yes. I wasn't like prepared. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I'm just explaining for the listeners because I should know this, but I don't because there isn't anything. Yeah, no, it's a, it's an exclusive for Connor. So like, don't. All exclusive, exclusive, exclusive. No, but that's really, that's exciting. That's very exciting. 
Well, you couldn't ask for a better collaborator to help. No, I, I really could have not known. Ease you into the, I mean, Steve Orlando talked about when he was on the show, one of his favorite things to do is to do co-writes with people. He did a co-write with Vita because he was like, I'm bringing in a non-binary character and mm-hmm. I want someone who knows what the fuck they're talking about. There was something else about um, this book that I wanted to make known. So uh, there is an element that um, has been introduced with uh, new Amazons coming into uh, the mascara. Mm -hmm. So like the way that this particular thing works, it's the well of souls. It's a well full of souls of women who um, die terribly in man's world. Mm -hmm. This isn't new. It's existed before. And in that, um, I just want to like let it be known like Themyscira is open to all women and by all women I mean trans women as well well that's very exciting I can't wait to see that story yeah I'm I'm excited it's a new role for um a black character yeah to be in this you know a lot of folks ask for storm books so like what would that look like because everybody's always referring to her as a as a goddess the storm solo what is it yeah. I was thinking when you were talking about, it, you know, people have said like Storm should be on the X-Men team, Storm should be on the X-Men team. But I actually think that the position they're giving her right now yeah. is potentially a much more interesting because Storm, we talked about this with her power loss storyline in the 80s. Storm isn't her most interesting when she is challenged, when she's mm-hmm. challenged as a person. And I think that this is a challenging role for her where she will have an opportunity to thrive. Al Ewing has demonstrated that he is very good at writing these characters, these women, these black women who people think yes. are too powerful or whatever. He did incredible work with Monica Rambo. So I'm excited to see Absolutely. what he does with Storm and Sword. And I think if Iska the Unbeaten is going to be the representative of Arako, and Arako is this thing that the mutants now have to deal with, this other culture of mutants, mm-hmm. having it be two black women making these negotiations with each other, I think is really exciting. Yeah. I think that... On a team book, Storm would maybe get lost a little bit. She has a habit of doing that because she can show up to do a feat and to be like, I am the goddess, here's some lightning. It's not necessarily an effective character spotlight. Absolutely. So I like this kind of courtly role. I think it's an interesting place to put a character like this. I'm interested to see your take on Nubia, who again, a character that conceptually a lot of people really love but who has a lot like bling to really bring it all back around never really had the story never really had a story of her own it's a little surreal uh to like be coming with actual canon history for a character that i spoke about before and was like yeah there's not much of anything here well and now there is because you're making it I, i know and that's 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 really cool as it calls me some sleepless nights just because i wanted to you want to nail it i want it to be good yeah <laughs> i want to nail it well i have every faith in you i have every faith in you especially with vita like oh yeah working on it i have no you're in good hands i think yeah. oh absolutely i don't even know vita like that i'm just a fan like i'm just always like, I'm always like every time they write something i'm like on twitter like god this issue was so fucking good you know and vita is just really incredible person too. i've met them like one time because i know yeah. steve because i work with yeah steve. You know, like we were introduced to FlameCon. This was years ago. And if you had told me like five years later, I'd be like, this is the young writer that everyone should be hiring. Like they are the one. Like I truly, yes. like there are a lot of incredible young talents coming up, but everything Vita writes, Absolutely. I think is a banger, like without exception. So I'm very excited for you. I'm very excited Thank to see you. where this goes. Do you have anything else you'd like? And there's another thing that I'm writing. Oh, well then go ahead. I can't, but um, 
just know that there's another IP that I got a hold of, but I definitely can't talk about it because there's an NPA and nothing gotcha. announced or close to it. But you'll be seeing a lot more of me writing comics. And I'm just so thankful because five years from now, I'm working in a lab, me writing comics. Like, no, I just yeah. would still be reading you know, through Marvel Unlimited, um, comicsology and stuff like that. So uh, to have a chance to play in this medium that I just adore and appreciate so much, it's just been, I don't know, it's been life-changing. I'm so thrilled for you. And I would love to see more of you at Marvel as well. Yeah, I want to come back. Like, hit her up. She's here. She's available. She's talented. They know where you are. And and it's clear that they are aware so I'm hoping that this Nubia story will, because it's nice to have like a mini to be able to show people. And it's major. That's a major thing. Well, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to freak out. Don't right. freak out. You've got this. You can no, do no, no. this. I, I believe I, in you. I absolutely do. But like when I just think about <laughs> it, it's I'm scary. Just like, no, it's oh. scary. It's a lot. It's black history. Yeah, that's, that's real history. Yeah. That is real history in the making. Do you have anything else you'd like to say about Bling before we start to wrap up? Yes. Um, it's time to like, Bring on the bling supremacy. Like, let's get it going. Let's get bling doing some other stuff that isn't cameo. Let's get our girl out of the shadows. Let's get her a story. Yeah, let's do it. Because her and like so many other mutant characters, like I love Jean, Scott, Storm, all of them. I do. But New Blood. Shake it up. Shake the table a little bit, as the Mm -hmm. great K. Michelle once said. (laughs) We can make it special tonight. Very special as k michelle would want us to do i love k michelle actually now i'm thinking like who would k michelle play in a marvel movie that's like where my brain is at now she would be herself um, she would just would be, be herself in a yeah like it would be a dazzler movie but k michelle would be a character playing like a heightened version of herself i would be into that yes like dazzler does a song with k michelle or like dazzler appears on love and hip-hop yes like as a guest appearance immediately yeah (laughs) and dazzler's like really afraid that she's gonna say something stupid on love and hip-hop she's like i've never done reality tv it's like it's okay it's love and hip-hop you're fine yeah (laughs) it's like you're gonna be you're gonna be a-okay now i'm picturing like dazzler featuring remy ma now i have like all of these ideas you know we need it because here's the thing it's a multimedia opportunity think of how many celebrities would love music celebrities musicians rappers singers would love to be like a guest star like like those old scooby-doo movies where it would be like scooby-doo teams up with and share like let Dazzle no, team seriously. up with whoever it would be fun yeah, it would be super fun and like you know the actress whoever gets to play Dazzle would have a fucking ball like doing that absolutely show. that would be so funny like the Dazzle fucking variety hour like let's solve a mystery like this week it's like Chloe and Hallie team up with Dazzler. Or, like I'm this week, signing it, you know, up it would for be Disney fun. Plus <laughs> yeah work, like that like, would be a fun project I'm just picturing like the Lady Gaga and Dazzler episode. Like, there are just so many... That's the one that would be the Emmy winner. They go to Mojo World and it's real fucking crazy. Oh my God, like, that's yes. Actually, Lady Gaga plays Spiral in the Mojo World episode of the Dazzler show. That's where I feel like you have to go. Oh my God, yes. They gotta hire you. They gotta call you. Marvel should call yeah. us because we're obviously yes. very intelligent people who know what we're doing. Steph, thank you so much for being my guest. It was so much fun having you on this show. I hope this was a fun episode for everybody to listen to. We meandered a lot off the topic, but the thing I like with creator interviews with comics pros is often when we pick a smaller character because then we can just kind of move around their work and talk about the business in general and all of that. So this was a lot of fun. 
Thank you for sharing so much with us. And I can't wait to see where your exciting career takes you. It really feels Thank like you. you have been working hard on your independent stuff and have finally like caught the eyes of the powers that be as you deserve. And I'm excited to see you just move up higher and higher. Thank you, Connor. I really appreciate it. I want you writing these characters. And I want Cerebro on like TV. Like I want you to have like <laughs> a Disney plus hour when they finally decide to like introduce the X-Men. I'm serious. Like introduce I'm game. The I'm game. I'll do whatever. Listen, they know where I am. Your podcast that I suggest to folks when they're just like, I want to get into the X-Men. How do I do that? Thank you so like, much. I really appreciate it. you. <laughs> I really love doing it. I appreciate everyone's patience over the last month with the delays while I was in LA. I really love doing this and I'm excited to keep doing it. So thank yes. you for coming on. We'll have to have you back at some point. We'll figure it out. Well, absolutely. Actually, you know, it would be fun. We should do like Shard. Oh, yes. My T-Boss mutant. She is literally T-Boss, right? Like I'm not crazy. Like that is always what I thought. My yes. whole child. I was like, this is just, because I had the action figure because she had yeah, the brain. Yeah. It was like real hair. It was so synthetic hair, but you get what I'm saying. Yes. It was like plastic hair, but it looked, was awesome. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, she literally was just like about to go chase waterfalls like right now. Yeah, X-Men missions. Anyway, why don't you tell listeners where they can follow you on social media, the web and everything else? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Steph underscore I underscore Will. And you can go to whysteph.com to, you know, see what I'm doing, what I've written. Um, if I'm still doing um, essays and whatnot, I have to cut back on that a little bit because writing comics is hard. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And also, like, writing the comics and doing criticism at the same time is, oh, like, a tricky, it's that's very, a tricky headspace to be in. Yes. Yeah. I will say, though, now that I'm writing them, I mean, I was already headed in this direction with reading comics, but I think this is probably why I might have enjoyed Black Widow way more than I did, because I can mm -hmm. see, like, what they tried to do story-wise and stuff that right. they were able to execute with such limited space. Yeah. So that's the thing about comics, right? It's like, you got 25 pages, shit. Like, what are you going to do, you know? Right. Oh my God, we've got to fit all this into one fucking issue, right? Terrifying. <laughs> I'm working on a script right now for something and I'm just like, this is harder than I thought mm -hmm. it was, you know? Like, <laughs> you feel like, oh my God, like what? Like, oh, huh, this is tricky, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You can follow Cerebro on Twitter and Instagram at Cerebrocast. You can follow me on Twitter at Dream of Organon or on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. You can find all of the episodes plus a link to the Cerebro Fan Discord and the Cerebro Merch Store at Cerebrocast.com, the official landing page for the podcast. Please join the conversation, but don't bring any bad vibes. Next week's episode will feature Alex Segura, who is fantastic. If you know him, we will be talking about Roberto da Costa, the incredible sunspot of the New Mutants. So write in with your Bobby da Costa questions to Cerebrocast at gmail.com, and Alex and I will do our best to answer those. You can support Cerebro on Patreon at patreon.com slash Cerebrocast. For $5 a month at the House of Zaladane level, you will receive two secret files each month. Those are bonus episodes. We're a little behind schedule again because of June, so there will be four total this month. The first one is already out. Anthony Oliveira and I watched Pride of the X-Men and did a commentary track and then just chit-chatted for a while, and I think 
think it's pretty fun. The next one will be a special Pride Month bonus episode. Sarah Century will be joining me to dig deep into the history of Victoria Montesi, the first lesbian character at Marvel, leader of the Darkhold Redeemers, created by Chris Cooper, a wonderful editor and writer. So I am really excited about that because I'm a big fan, but she's not an X-Men character. So I was like, you know what? Let's do this as a bonus. Sarah, do you? she was like, I am your official lesbian correspondent. If anybody's going to come talk about Darkhold with you, it's me. I was like, great. All right, we're in, we're in. In the meanwhile, thank you for listening. Thank you for all your support. Thank you for your tweets, your emails, your kind messages. I really love doing this show. Until next time, everybody, thank you for listening and bye. Goodbye, y'all. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, people mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world.